0: Who makes you larger?
1: It's Amanda Reyes, and you're back with another episode of the Made for TV Mayhem show. I just really have one sentence to say, and I feel like we could just close the episode. Just, we don't even have to introduce my co-host, but I just want to let you know that it's another day, another blowjob. Now, some of you may get that reference, some of you may not, some of you might be shocked, but that is from Go Ask Alice, which is one of the films we're talking about today. Not, obviously, the TV version of it, but the diary that Alice left. That's probably one of the most famous lines in the film, and or in the book, and that's always what I think of when I think of Go Ask Alice, because she is right, it's another day, it's another blowjob. So, um, I feel like that encapsulates everything we're gonna talk about tonight, <laughs> maybe. So, our topic tonight is um, propaganda TV movies. And we're going to be talking about the infamous Go Ask Alice and the other infamous uh, 1982, I guess it's a drama fantasy called Mazes and Monsters starring Tom Hanks. Um, And uh, I don't have much else to say. Sorry, I've been really frazzled for like six weeks. I know we've been gone for a while, but we did those last two episodes back to back. So I kind of didn't feel so bad about leaving things hanging. And then I realized I kind of forgot how to podcast. So... You'll have to forgive me if um, I have some hiccups tonight, but so let me introduce my co-host because they know what they're doing. So hey Dan, what's up?
2: Call me Trelox, ninth level Rantherian. I'm the keeper of the staff of David and the shining dingus of Calhoun. Ooh. I'm also a drug addict <laughs> and an idiot. Wait a
1: minute, you're the shining dingus of Rory Calhoun? Did I get that right?
2: <laughs> Someone's Calhoun. I just it's Calhoun.
1: Are you the what is the guy's name? Is he the controller of the maze? What was his character call himself? The maze it's like the,
2: the maze controller or something i didn't actually write it would be the dungeon master if it were dungeons and dragons but i i forget what they i think it's like i am the controller of the maze and so yeah that's so you could be the controller of the maze here and i'll be trey uh keeper of the shining dingus of calhoun
1: okay that's good i think i can handle that and
2: the keeper of the staff of david don't forget that too
1: oh my gosh i keep david's staff i'm married to him so (laughs) just so we're clear (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) um nate how are you
3: I'm good, and I don't know anything about Dungeons & Dragons (laughs) except what I learned from uh, the rip-off game in Mazes & Monsters.
1: That's all you need to know, is that really cute guys play it, and you can take (laughs) it into the tunnels and have a really good time with it, and you can have plastic skeletons come with you. That's pretty much all I learned about the game while I was watching it. Um, Yeah, so those are our two films tonight. Um, What I wanted to do... This is gonna be a whole night of me confessing all the things I dreamed of doing while I had six weeks to plan and couldn't get to. I ordered The Dungeon Master, which is the book about the true story behind Mazes and Monsters. I also ordered Rona Jaffe's Mazes and Monsters, which is the book that was uh, obviously adapted into the TV film, which was inspired by The Dungeon Master. And I finally bought Go Ask Alice, which is something I've been wanting to read since I was like 15 and just never have. And I've read three pages of The Dungeon Master, and that's it. So, (laughs) I really wanted to dive into propaganda TV movies and how these things worked to sort of train our brains into things. Um, But I think you guys are pretty adept at this stuff too, so we'll just have a conversation about it. I do have a little bit of background on both um, books, and so we'll do all that. But I'm just going to let Dan get started, because to be perfectly honest, I feel really strange right now. So, I think... Oh, okay. (laughs) I feel like this is my first time podcasting. It's so weird.
2: you, you haven't been going into someone else's fridge and drinking their half-drunk uh, bottles of soda pop, have you?
1: I haven't, and who does that? I mean... That's, well, yeah, that's going
2: to be a point of bone of contention I have with Go Ask Alice and her intelligence level later
1: yeah, on Yeah, yeah, well, you know, just a spoiler, I, I, I love both of these films, um, but I agree that there are some moments in Alice where you're like, um, what? So, and <laughs> but then there's also shoeless baby hookers to make up for it, so... Sure, true, true. <laughs> So take it away, Dan.
2: Okay, um, uh, to, to me, uh, Go Ask Alice is, it's sort of, it's not quite vignettes, but it's sort of in big segments. And the movie begins with a, a little scroll that says this is the authentic diary of a 15-year-old teenage girl whose uh, mother is Julie Adams and whose father is William Shatner. It doesn't say that, but that's that's what's, what goes on in it. And it's Alice, and Alice is, you know, Uh, 15-year-old blonde all-american gal kind of thing except she's very she's very sort of neurotic she feels very unpopular she feels very alone she's worrying about her weight all the time she i guess that's what we all you know we're all most of us are pretty awful when we're 15 in that way um but but and her and her family are moving to a new town where her dad's going to be like the head dean the assistant dean or something at the high school or
1: it's a college i believe
2: is it a con- – well, she's yeah. only 15.
1: She is, but I think she's dating the teacher's aide at the college uh, Okay. as the film progresses, you know, that kind of straight guy that she meets that works for her oh, dad.
2: Okay. All right. So she's going – I thought they were at the same place because you know, there's a scene le- later on where she goes to his office.
1: Yes, she does. But she's also dating um, that guy that's in college, don't forget. And the- and he knows all about – the dad, played by William Shatner, knows all about the guy she's dating and his grades.
2: Okay, so so she's going to a, a new high school in this town where her dad's going to be the dean at the local college, and uh, she's very worried uh, that she's not going to have any friends, it's going to be rotten, and it takes her a while, but she makes a friend, a friend Beth, and Beth and her sit around, and they talk about boys, and they talk about losing weight, and they talk about <laughs> life in general, it's and best. it's great. It's the best and uh, but she's still she's still a little kind of lost and her parents are uh, kind of vague you know when it's it's clear that she needs you know just more love and attention they just kind of like will say stuff like come on Alice you can do it well they don't quite say that but you know that kind of thing and her brother's just this little kid running around um, who actually turns out to be pretty perceptive as the film goes along yeah. but Uh, The sort of first segment of the movie ends with Her meeting up with a fellow classmate Who invites her to a party She goes to the party and it's a pretty swinging Not in the way you're thinking but a swinging high school sort of party And she ends up uh, Getting uh, Drugged Uh, I'm imagining it's LSD I'm I'm not sure on my drugs but some sort of acid And basically there's a guy there who's like I'm going to be here with you through your trip And lead you through it And At first she's very worried about it But then she loves it
4: that song <laughs> and we have our first winner of the year. <laughs> What's happening? Don't worry, just relax. You're very strange, I feel. You're really sick. Now, while I'm here. Just let it happen. <laughs> it's like they're trying to poison me. No no, they aren't. Enjoy it. You're going to have a beautiful trip, I promise. but that's
5: why I didn't get any.
4: so I could take care of you.
2: And we go into the sort of second segment of the movie movie where she becomes very much sort of a hippie gal, and she's just doing drugs all the time, and her, her grades are falling, and she's stealing her parents' pills. And her parents, again, seem a little clueless as to what's going on, although her brother is looking at her like, you're screwed up. Something's going wrong there. And she mostly just spends all her time with her friend. And her boyfriend and her friend's boyfriend, some other folks just doing drugs and sitting around. And then oh, one day, the one monthly, of
1: fr- The monthly pregnancy scares. Remember she mentioned the month,
2: that?
5: Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, the monthly pregnancy scares. Oh my God. Um, and then she, and at one point, um, one of their friends who has been dealing, and specifically dealing to grade school kids, is arrested. And so Alice and her friend, and I didn't take down her friend's name, and I'm sorry about that. Um, Al, because at one point I thought they were the same person; they look so similar. They to do. Me at one point. They wear the
1: same hats and everything. They become sort Gosh. of twins of each other.
2: Yeah, and and they say, yeah, to to the guys who are like wasted all the time, we'll help you deal. And so there's this great scene with Alice, like giving pills to like a ten year old or something. I forget. Like he said, fifth grade or something. I think he's like he that. In. Yeah. Yeah, and. And then what what happens then, unfortunately, takes a turn for the worse, around 30 minutes in, she goes home and she finds um, her boyfriend. I didn't actually quite know what was going on. Her boyfriend is with another gal, but I saw a guy in the end Yeah, or that's Yeah, that?
1: that's actually a really controversial scene. And when IMDb used to have message yeah. boards, um, after I saw Go Ask Alice for the first time a couple years ago when I wrote about it for Are You in the House Alone, um, there was a whole conversation about that scene because it does so... I'm under the impression that it's two guys with two girls having sex in the same room, probably Mm -hmm. heterosexual sex, but it's never made clear that that's what they're doing. And it's really interesting. So this movie, uh, imagery-wise, and I know we'll get to the one image that's insane, but like um, visually, this film really pulls no punches in terms of its depiction of like, the depths that some people go. Not that I'm saying that having sex with two couples in a room together is the depths of depravity, but it does things that TV movies don't normally do.
4: hmm And yeah.
1: this is one of the things it does is it plays uh, sort of tricks with our mind with, um, well, first of all, it may indicate that there's an orgy, or it may yes. indicate that it's a same-sex relationship, which you didn't really see on TV back then either, yes. or or just, you know, two couples having sex in the same room, which again, is also really controversial mm-hmm. for television.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so Alice sees whatever it is that's going on, going on, and she uh, she grabs she grabs a bunch of the deal, the cash that they've been dealing, takes off, and gets her friend who looks a lot like her. They hop on a bus and they run away from home, and they say they kind of as they're running away, they say, you know, we don't know if we're going to be able to do it, but we have to get off the drugs. Then almost immediately, it cuts to Alice sleeping under a very dirty blanket on a picnic table in the middle of a park. And she cannot remember how she got there. She cannot remember what's going on. And Mackenzie Phillips shows up as, like, a 14-year-old prostitute. And you know, at the moment you see Mackenzie Phillips, yeah, you're on the drugs and you've been on it for some time. And so Alice is, like, completely, whoo! And she spends the next batch of time basically prostituting herself.
4: Where's Chris? You got anything? Where is she? Listen, I don't know any Chris. You got any eppers left? I don't know you. (laughs) What's the matter? You in a blackout? I brought you here. Who are you? I'm Doris. It's been all over. (laughs) For how long? Forever. Uh, what happened to the music? The whole rally was canceled, remember? Somebody must have really sipped you a bad pill. Yeah, well, I wish they'd do it again. Yeah. Well, I figured there'd be a few cats left to time me off. Dying. Hey, uh, there's got to be some place to crash around here, right? Yeah, there's this creep at the Diggers Cafe, so he'll give you some bread to go home with him. So why don't you try? Says baby hookers turn him on. Been making it longer than he has. How old are you? You know, fourteen. Hey, uh, I gotta go now. I'll see you. Hey, wait, wait! Don't you want this? What are you writing? I don't remember. Yeah, I bet she up stuff. See you later. on. He, they're both barefoot,
1: like yes. they you know, like so. So Mackenzie Phillips plays the baby hooker. She actually calls herself the baby hooker, and and she's not. I don't believe she's fourteen. I believe she says she's fourteen, but she's twelve. Mm-hmm. That's my impression because okay. she looks so young. And and then, and she really wants to hang out with Alice, but Alice doesn't know who she is. Like, she doesn't remember anything. And so it becomes this really crazy, like, whatever. And you think that would be her wake-up call, but she just goes and, like, keeps going down that path. And the thing that, like, is so aesthetically interesting is, like, it's not aesthetically interesting. I don't know what the word I want to use is, but it's, like, it's so horrifying because she's barefoot by this point, and she's mm-hmm. trashed. And she's eating stuff out of the garbage. Yeah. Do you remember she picks up that sandwich out of the garbage? And yeah. she just sits yeah. on the garbage can. And then she's like, Dear Diary. Yes. And it's horrible. She keeps the
2: diary. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's a brief moment, too, where we get to see they, they mention this couple who will, will feed them but make them do weird things. And there's a brief moment where you see what the couple do. And it's it's one of those things where... It's not the weirdest thing you'll ever see, but it's definitely very, very odd. And I I actually watched it like twice. I was like, "Did I just see that?" Because it happens very quickly, like in flashes. It's so. Did I just? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's. um, I guess we can go into it a little bit later. We'll leave people hanging for what exactly
1: the
4: couple (laughs) do.
2: But so so she's just going downhill. It's getting bad. She winds up at sort of like a mission church one evening, and Father Andy Griffith is there, and. They have a long discussion, and he's sort of very understanding. He's listening to her, but you you can tell he sort of heard everything she said uh, a thousand times before. And he actually ends up sort of getting her diary and finding her phone number in it, calling her family, and just leaving the phone hanging and saying, Here. Alice runs to the phone. She gets on the phone. Hooray! We go to the next sort of segment of the film, and she's back home, and she's kind of dried out a bit, and she's trying to do her best to uh stay clean um but of course the unfortunate thing is you learn that like Beth, her her old friend, knows that she was using drugs, so she's not her friend anymore. Beth won't talk to Alice anymore. Of course, Alice wasn't actually talking to Beth when she got on the drugs, so I guess it goes both ways there. Um, And everyone who believed that, uh, who who knew that you were dealing or doing drugs is is after you for drugs. In fact, the moment she arrives, the director of Never Cry Wolf and Trick or Treat (laughs) goes to her locker and says, do you have any drugs? He said, get out of here. Go, go. Run with the wolves naked. Did he direct Never Cry Wolf? I forget that now that I said that remember, he just started it. I remember,
1: but it sounds like he did. But I, I know he directed I so. Trick or Treat, and I know he's in American yeah. Graffiti, and he did a, another TV movie called Cotton run Candy. Run the same time.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so it, it becomes like, no, I'm not dealing. And this one gal keeps sort of giving her drugs, and 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 it becomes this this un, unpleasant series of scenes where um uh the the people who are all on drugs are kind of they're calling her a fink and they're kind of threatening her brother through her and they're threatening her father through her
1: they've got upset because jan who's the girl that i guess is passing out the papers and gives her the pills yes. she has like a freak out and then she yes. goes to where she used to babysit and mm-hmm. and alice is like i have to call the police on you because you're gonna hurt this baby and you're terrifying me and then afterwards like everything just like she has nobody t- to be with because the straight kids don't trust her and the I don't know what you call the not street kids, uh, they the don't they don't but they, they don't yeah. trust her either, right? So like and yeah. they've decided to make her life hell and it's it's like it's very upsetting.
2: And yeah, and she she's she's really got nowhere to go and she's she's worried going to school every day. Now she kinda of makes friends a bit with that teacher's aide we mentioned earlier who works with her father, who is as straight as can be. He is Mr. Super White Bread's... Right there. He's just, he doesn't well, seem like he's ever done anything wrong in his life. He already At,
1: has a receding hairline. He's like 19. That's how straight he that's is. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> he's pretty like an old it's... guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: and, and what happens then, and this is around where I'll stop, is um, uh, so sort of the threats from the stoner kids are getting worse, and Alice is getting very shaky and she she's gonna spend a weekend babysitting I believe it's the same location where her friend freaked out at her yeah, it looks like the so. same set and she's just going to this this family is gone and she's baby's taking care of this baby and she's warming up the bottle with the formula and there's like a half drunk bottle of soda pop in the in the fridge so she cracks it open and she starts drinking that as she's feeding the baby someone has put LSD in the pop and she has the mother of all freakouts in this house, alone with a baby, I'm gonna leave it right there. We'll <laughs> probably spoil what happens, but that's as good a spot as any to stop.
1: Yeah, that's the part where, like, it's so interesting because th- th- when I watched it last weekend, it was the second time I'd ever seen it since i a couple years before, and but that scene in my mind, I thought they showed more than they do mm. because it's mm-hmm. it's so upsetting that like. I just started imagining, I guess, what happened, and then it kind of took over my imagination so intensely that I believed that that scene <laughs> is in the film, but yeah. it's really not, and I'm really grateful for that, because um, yeah. cause the aftermath is is ridiculously upsetting as it is, so I don't, I don't necessarily need to see it. Um, mm-hmm. But um, that's probably the most harrowing moment in the film for me, if I had to pick one harrowing moment. Um, there's several. Um, so let me just ask you guys, Dan, had you ever seen this before?
2: I uh, no, I hadn't. No, I hadn't. Uh, there are bits I, I thought worked really well, and there are some, um, that I didn't think worked really well. Um, I, I hate to jump to this point, but one of the spots that really, uh, there were occasional moments, uh, where I thought, um, now i you know, I have been in high school and such, but I, I I I was I've never done drugs. Um, but there were moments in it that felt like this is written by like a sixty-year-old woman who's never been near a teen in her life. I thought that there were certain moments where I felt it, but then there were other moments where I thought, okay, this feels like this could be more authentic. And you know, you can see the message it's trying to say, which is never, never, never do drugs. Right. Um. So so when I watched it, it was a mixed. It, it one of the tricky things was that Alice starts off sort of complaining a lot. She's very bland. And then when she gets on the drugs, on the, on the drugs, now I sound like a 60 year old (laughs) woman. Uh, when, When she gets turned on drugs, she, she becomes boring. And then the only moment where she becomes really sort of interesting to me is when she's trying to figure out how to sort of, You know, get around all these people who were sort of coming after her when she returns. And then right at the very end, not the very end, which I'm going to mention slightly in a moment. But so it was sort of like for about 45 minutes of the 75 minutes of the movie, Alice was just like this blank space in the middle of the film, just doing whatever the film uh, had her do next right and it wasn't until it wasn't until like the the babe the babysitter scene with the friend going crazy or the, the freak out and the aftermath of that where i was like really on board but by that point i was i was growing slightly bored with it and thought but, how much more of this can i watch
1: but then ruth roman showed up and you're like hey that's the lady from the baby that's true
2: That is, that is true yeah <laughs> I was like, oh yeah and 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 i will say and the thing that kind of if I I don't normally do like out of tens, but if I had to do out of ten, I was probably at s- seven out of ten before the very end. Then when the very end hit, I think I went to about five. Wow! Because you mean the very very the, end? The very very I don't okay. know if we should. We'll, t- spoil we'll it talk away. about
1: it. We'll talk. Well, I mean, this book okay. is really famous. Everybody knows what happens to Alice, and we'll, yes. we'll, we'll we'll go into it. And I didn't actually make notes about the story about the book, but I will talk mm-hmm. about it because I'm sort of familiar okay. with the history of it. Um. Uh but do you mind if I leave it there and ask Nate? Or do you have anything else you oh, want to add? Yeah. Uh
2: I'll I'll probably think of something in
3: a minute
1: Okay, <laughs> I'm sure you yeah. will, Dan. <laughs> yeah. I trust oh, yeah. you for that. That's why you're here. Um Nate, yeah. <laughs> had you seen this before?
3: No, I'd never even heard of it. You to never be heard of
1: it? Oh my god, what did no, you
3: No, I'd never heard of this movie.
1: Oh my god, what would you think of it?
3: I might lean probably towards what Dan was saying. Um I kind of felt that for Like, the first half of the movie, I I felt like I was maybe a little bit bored with it, but it did pick up in the second half. Um, Although, like Dan, the rating dropped for me with the very, very ending. I mean, I, I just felt like it was so abrupt. And it just felt li- really mishandled. I think the book for I read the story. I read it up on the book itself, and I think it probably did a, a much better job at, at you know like conveying the ending itself. Whereas the movie, it just feels so. You know, you think one thing, and then suddenly it's like, oh no, no, no! This is what really happened. I mean, it just it just came out of nowhere for me. I guess, um, although. I mean, it, it got an extra two points just for having Ruth Roman in it. As soon as I heard her <laughs> voice, I was just—I was thinking about her and you know, Anjanette Comer getting in that little battle of words on the front porch <laughs> and the baby. I love that movie, by the way, but that's oh, a different yeah.
1: movie oh, altogether. Yeah. together. So many people think that that's a TV movie, too, and I think that's so interesting because it kind of feels like a TV movie because you don't really see anything, but on what planet would that ever yeah. air on network TV? <laughs> no, <laughs> it network wouldn't. Network
3: would have done that, yeah. <laughs> I almost wish it would have in some way because it would have been fun to discuss
1: yeah um, well, me too yeah it would be great well maybe one day we'll do like a special it should have been it looks like a tv movie but it's not because there's a couple just, oh, no.
2: made by yeah
1: yeah there's a couple that
2: would be fun so
1: that's interesting um, because oh i'm sorry keep going Nate. i'm sorry
3: oh no i was just gonna say that i think it was interesting to me all the you know the high profile actors that are in this yeah. movie i didn't even recognize william shatner
4: yeah, oh yeah alive. it was a
3: while before i realized that who that was I mean, obviously, Ruth Roman and Andy Griffith, I recognize them immediately just because, you know, I mean, they pretty much look like themselves.
4: Right. Mm-hmm.
3: But, um, I, yeah, I mean, as far as this movie goes, um, I would be really interested to read the book because from what I've read, it said that uh, the movie, unfortunately, leaves a lot of stuff out that the book has. Um, storyline-wise, and it says that the book flows much better, and it yeah. actually seems, you know, it, it's more seamless, whereas the movie sometimes feels like it, you know, jumps from one scene to the next, you know, and it doesn't transition very well sometimes. Because I got a little bit lost in some parts, I, I have to admit. Um, but just reading like, the plot synopsis of the book side by side with it, I see, I saw exactly what they were doing. And um, I was just—it's—it's it's a frustrating film because I mean, like Dan was saying, her little brother's so perceptive, but her parents are not. Mm. And I'm just thinking, like, how clueless are you getting here? I mean, when she starts acting different and everything, I mean, you gotta suspect something. I don't know. The parents just seem so um, oblivious, or There's, just in
2: denial. I don't
3: know. Denial There's,
1: was what how I approached it.
2: There, there's that scene at the at her birthday party where she's like her and her friends are all like yeah. sitting on the floor around a table yeah. and they're all like and they're clearly high as kites and, and the brother is looking at her like, Holy crap, what's wrong with you? And William Shatner and Julie Adams are standing there going, Come on, happy birthday. You're not too old to have a cake to you and I'm thinking, Are you really? Really? Are you you're so exhausted? Like my, my wife is the last of four children and she said by time her parents got to her she could do whatever she wanted because they were exhausted but alice is their first kid she should i mean i know my parents like up until i left moved out of the house my parents were on me all the time by time they got to my sister who was 13 years younger she could do whatever she wanted so so it's like they're too oblivious to me is is unfortunately i just from my experience I think that,
3: you know, I can understand where they're going with it. It's, you know, everybody needs to be aware of, you know, the the changes in behaviors and and stuff like that. And I understood that, but I just didn't feel like the movie itself, um, I don't know, I just, uh, I, I didn't feel like it was handled as well as it maybe could have been. Um, I'm really glad I watched it though. I definitely yeah. don't regret watching it whatsoever. I, I'm very happy that I saw it because I think that movies from you know this time frame that are you know more quote unquote propaganda films, are, it's really interesting to watch. You know to to see how they approach subjects like you know drugs and stuff because of course in my you know teenage years it was the '90s, so it was very much in the vein of those anti-drug commercials you remember the ones like the the girl is like sunken in the chair and they say you know like she can't talk she can't even move or something like that um and of course the classic was you know this is your brain this is your brain on drugs with the frying pan Mm -hmm. um and i remember the you know those kind of commercials so i was actually really interested to see how they approached it in the early 70s so um, I'm really glad that we picked this one. Um, it may not be one that I would come back to very often, but uh, to say I would read the book.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, when I'm done with my copy, I can I can chip it off. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
5: that,
3: You're you reading it?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. So just um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Oh, I, I was just say. Do you think now? Here, here's the thing: is when I got to the end, just the the way, like like Nate said, and like I sort of synopsized it. There are it really it does feel like it's in segments. Like she has that first trip, and then suddenly she's a full on drug addict.
1: I was just gonna say, what the thing about the editing of this film that I really like is that it kind of drops you in her drug trip by making it sort of like bounce true, around. True. And so the whole point I thought when um, the director and the director came from documentaries originally. Um, Mm -hmm. this was his second TV movie, I think, um, is that I think that he wanted to sort of keep you sort of on the edge of your seat, not in a thriller way, but like in a way that like you can't get comfortable with what's happening in the movie because even Alice doesn't know what's happening, right? She's kind of an unreliable narrator is what I'm saying because it's her trip and she's talking about her own trip and, and her diary and her words. And so who knows what's really happening Actually, yeah. Yeah, and what she's saying happening. So to me, the movie felt sort of like, not like Christian F. Christian F goes deep into like heavy-duty drug addiction. That to me is like the best anti-drug movie I've ever seen. It's like watching real drug addicts. I think this film, though, is a minor Christian F in a lot of ways because of the editing. And that's my approach. And I kind of, I totally understand what you guys are saying. But um, but I love this movie, so I'm going to defend it a little. But that's how I approached it. Oh, no.
2: I, I was well. What I was going to say with with regards to, I was I was just going to say, do you, do you think do you think it would have worked better if they'd done it just two hours, or would that have dragged it out too much, too much misery?
1: No, I think or... it's fine the way it is. I think okay. the problem is is it is. So when I got Go Ask Alice in the mail the other day, I was surprised by how thick it was. I actually thought it was a much thinner book. So there is a lot of content mm-hmm. in there that probably didn't make it into the film. Plus, like that line I said another day, another blowjob. Obviously, they had to excise sure. a lot of stuff. So when she's like her monthly pregnancy scares and for the most part, her prostitution is very much off screen. And so it has to, or at at
2: a distance.
1: Yeah. And which is good. I'm into that, but like, um, you know, because it was, it was pretty harrowing stuff that she was discussing, but like, I feel like, I feel like the, the movie had to sort of, because of its medium being television, it had to really like cut things down. And so 74 minutes is probably pretty good for what it needed to do.
2: I, I, th- I, I think the the one moment that I do... Uh, actually, well, there were a couple of them, sort of the way it jumps from bit to bit. The one moment I do really like, and I think works completely for me, is when they're on the bus, and then suddenly her friend is gone, and she's on the picnic yeah. table, and and McK- Mackenzie Phillips is there. I think, to me, that's the moment that really works, because you're sitting there, and you're like, what's going on? And wh- who are you? We've been together, like, the past three days. We were at a festival, we and it's like, what's going... And you never get, like sort of confirmation on was that actually what happened because she doesn't know when you're getting everything from her right and she doesn't remember so so there was a moment right and i think that that's kind of interesting the way they do that because then it immediately goes into her eating food out of the garbage cans prostituting herself and it just it just gets so weird so quickly that 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 kind of that, that that is one bit I really liked in there. And then of course it ends with the scene with Andy Griffith, which I will never argue with, although I wish Don Knotts had showed up. It was like a wacky <laughs> chef or something. Like he could have like tripped the cake.
1: That would've been the that best. Would been that. that would have been the best. They missed out. They missed out. But <laughs> really uh, but yeah, I kinda like the schizophrenic feel of the film. And the first time I saw it, I actually watched it like at two in the morning. I had insomnia and I was writing the book and it was one of the movies I'd put down on the list of things to watch. And so I, I watched it at two in the morning and I was like, what am I looking at? And mm-hmm. I, and so maybe because I'm a girl, so I totally related to her on a lot of different levels, especially that when she gets to the new school and she kind of hates herself and do I wear jeans? Do I wear a skirt? You know, like all that stuff is stuff that like I thought about too intensely when I was her age as well. And so. I kind of felt like the character to me was pretty relatable, but what I thought was so interesting about Alice is that I went online the next day and I looked up different things about the movie. It had two different reactions, so some people saw it and they were like, that's it, I don't ever want to go near drugs, (laughs) look what happened to her, Mm -hmm. it's horrible, and it was very effective, and other people myself included, were like, God, she looks so cool when she starts doing drugs. You know, she starts ironing her hair, and she's got the floppy hats, and she's, like, wearing these super cool clothes. And it's like, wow, she's really beautiful, (laughs) you know? It's like, LSD makes you beautiful. And so, like, it actually had two very different reactions from its audience. And Mm. a lot of these kids saw it in school. So it aired as a network TV movie, but it became something that they showed in classes to sort of, you know, in health class or whatever as part of like their drug prevention program. And, mm-hmm. and it went two different ways. Now, this was in the 70s. And then as the years went on, you know, we became sort of more cynical about stuff and um, Newer audiences watch it and they just kind of it rolls off them. They don't even think twice about it, and it's kind of interesting the reaction to it. So because I'm still in that '70s frame of mind, you know what I mean? Where yeah. like like I've never seen anything like this before. And a lot of kids are like, whatever, I saw that down the hall in third period. You know what I mean? And so yeah. so like it's it's interesting to read all the different reactions um, about it. But um, but it really works for me, and I think part of it is because it's a female protagonist, and because I think I really I'm so. Like, I've moved past my teen years, but, like, there's still that part of it that I can really, like, hone in on when I'm watching movies about teenage girls. And so Mm -hmm. I instantly become, like, attached to, like, things that I remember going through myself. Um, Okay. Not the drug part, I can say, uh, completely, (laughs) honestly. But, like, the, the really wanting to fit in and that not knowing where you belong thing, I think she did really well and um and so i was instantly kind of caught up in the story and then you're right it goes crazy really quickly like in the f- after right after the first half hour she's like got no shoes and she's eating out of garbage cans and prostituting herself and then she goes back home and it's just so hard so you're going back and forth from like suburbia to like dystopian imagery you know what i mean mm-hmm. and then the dystopian imagery comes into the suburban neighborhood and then it's it's so weird and i just really liked it
2: yeah i i yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I'm I'm half and half on it. There are bits I really like. There are maybe now I watch it a second time today, and after having seen the ending the other day, I went into it this time with the ending in my mind. So that may have that did bring it down uh, in my mind. But I'm wondering if that kind of, that kind of hangs with me because it goes from being uh, I I knew very little uh, about it when I went into it, and to me it seems like. It goes deep into the darkness, and then it's trying to bring you some hope. But then you realize it's not. You realize that it's like um, – I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I thought of this with it, – it's tricky with the ending. I, I was trying to think of endings I would compare it to. Now, first off, I would compare it to endings like, like Driver's Ed films. Like there's sure. one called uh, – what is it? Is it The Last Dance? where um all the kids go out to their prom and they drink and then the final scene is this incredibly harrowing and gory sequence where they all get killed in the car and it's like okay with something like this i i i know there's no hope and i know that they're all gonna die uh, or be maimed that's that's the point Uh, but then i also thought of like movies like the other um uh, day i rewatched happy hell night and happy hell night is a lot of fun yes and um And Happy Hell Night very specifically has at the ending of it, it says, here's how you get rid of the bad guy. You do this, this, and this, and then you win. The good guys do that, they win, and then the last minute, spoiler, the bad guy shows up again. And that, to me, ruins the ending. I love the movie up until that moment. One guy
1: doesn't make it either, either. so it's got a really downbeat ending because... It's got mm-hmm. this kind of tragic... We could talk about Happy Hill Night on a slasher cast because I could talk about that well, movie well, for well, like well, the, seven I... hours. But but what I want to say to you, Dan, real quick, what I want to say is is what is happening is you are smart enough to watch a propaganda film and realize that what they're doing at the end is really manipulative. I think that's what's happening inside your brain. And that's why it's sitting with you uh, um, in a bad way, because they throw that in there. I mean, it's in the book, but what I mean is they throw it in there at the end to kind of give you that gut punch. So they're like, even if you do do drugs for a while and you get off them, this is still going to happen. So don't even don't even try doing drugs. Right.
2: There's there's no. And, and like, yeah. And something like happy, happy hell night. That just ruins the ending. Like the, that ruins the last five minutes. But go ask Alice the moment I saw that I was like, OK, all this this stuff and all this uh, all these things that happened, all her experiences and the hope we had in the last 10 minutes or so. And it means nothing. The moment she went on drugs, she was dead. And so it's like, so why did I, why, why, why bother? I'm going to go watch um, uh, Tommy boy again or something and just have a good time laughing (laughs) for 85 minutes. Why would I watch this again?
1: Yeah. It's kind of a dark ending. But then I watched it again. But, but I mean, I think that's what's happening. I think you're understanding that they're sort of manipulating you and you're not going to go for it. But if you were 12.
2: True. Yeah. I think, I think, I think what it is is that I didn't expect it to be like an, driver's ed film or like a uh you know hygiene film or something where it's you know no matter what you do you're going to end up with syphilis or you're going to end up decapitated in a car i th- I thought this might go somewhere um a little different and and that that's and i guess and when it happened i was like shenanigans no no yeah. no no <laughs> i i don't like that yeah and but that that's me though and i can under i can understand i mean and part of me also went like <gasps> But then a second later, I was like, "No, you don't." I've now grown to like Alice, and you don't do that. You don't do that. I have it written right here: G A A. That ain't go away, Alice. That's go ask Alice, so you don't send Alice. Right. <laughs> well,
1: Sorry. you know it's interesting because Christian F. I don't want to be too spoilery if you if anybody hasn't seen it, but Christian F. actually has hope at the end, and so which is really interesting because. They changed the ending of her... Christian F. is also based on true... Well, Go Ask Alice is based on a fake true story. Christian F. is based on a true true story. And they ended the film... So I read the book. And I know all about Christian F. um, As so many people who grew up in the 80s do. Because we became obsessed with her. But like they uh they changed the ending to make it more upbeat the very very end which is interesting because it it wasn't upbeat they actually switched which character gets off drugs and which one doesn't and um and they did that to as a way to end the film and so it actually has a completely different ending than alice because it offers hope mm-hmm. even though in real life it didn't
2: I thought the fact that they made a disco party and the movie—it was—I thought that was a little inappropriate. Yeah,
1: they should have had, you know, a a soft rock party, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet, sweet ass soft rock. So, Nate, is is that what the problem you had with it too? You just thought it was too manipulative.
3: Um, that, and in all honesty, it's um i just didn't like the way it was handled um have we spoiled it are we going to? well
1: we can go ahead and spoil it so like yeah, all this stuff okay. happens right and she like gets off drugs and then she gets they dose her uh soda and then we didn't even talk about the heroin segment we'll get back to what happens after they dose her soda after this so we don't lose track but and then she kind of like uh, sort of reclaims her life and she goes to these drug counseling meetings, and and you feel like she's kind of like getting right back on the right track. And then the mom's voice, the mom by the way is Julie Adams, um, has a voiceover, and she's like, "Our daughter died um, at, at after she turned eighteen or an eighteenth birthday or something of that effect. And we're not sure whether or not um, somebody gave her the drugs or she was on them. But we decided to release her diaries at." in the hopes that maybe somebody else doesn't have to go through what we went through. And then there's this really beautiful shot of Alice because as, 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 she's getting dropped off at the high school and, um, and she's waving to her boyfriend and then that's when the voiceover starts. And so it's really poignant. And then the credits go and you're like, Oh shit, that's fucked up. Right? So that's the reaction I had. Um, So Nate,
3: I just, I felt like maybe if they had done it differently, um, I, I just didn't like the idea of, all this, like, you know, uplifting ending where, you know, everything seems great. And then it, it just almost... And I realize it wasn't tacked on, because that's how the book ends. But just from watching it from a movie perspective, that ending voiceover almost seemed tacked on as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think for something that powerful, like the idea of, you know, she got her life back on track, but, you know, the drugs got her again, or she might have even been murdered, who knows... Um, I think if they maybe have shown, like, you know, maybe, like, her family, like, devastated over her death or, you know, uh, just something. I just felt like the the whole ending seemed like uh, like a, a an afterthought tacked on, you know, like, oh, by the way, I know everything seems fine, but just so you audience know, she died. That's, I mean, that's just kind of what just, it felt like to just
1: me. Just real, <laughs> real briefly, I just want to tell a true story about what happened with this film and why I think the ending... Um, mm. had an impact on some people, and uh, so do, are you guys familiar with Art Linkletter?
2: Oh sure, yeah. Did yeah. he do like
1: children do the darndest things or something? Children clever? do
2: the darnd and he had a uh, yeah radio show called like Art Art Linkletter's House Party. He was
1: yes. Yeah. So yeah. do you know? And I wish i would written down the name of the song. Did you know his daughter committed suicide by jumping out of a window? And oh. um, she did it right after she did a song with her father about doing drugs. It's, it was about like living in kind of a permissive household, I believe. And, um, and about two weeks after she recorded that, she literally jumped out a window and, um, killed herself. She was about 21 years old and our letter. So when Go Ask Alice, the book came out, it was super controversial. And, um, and a lot of schools and people who, not necessarily the schools, I think the libraries wanted it, but the, um, the parents didn't. And it got banned in a lot of different places. And it was, it had like, it was just had a, it really struggled, even though it was really ridiculously popular, it really struggled. And Ark Linkletter became um, the books, one of the book's loudest and most fervent champions because of his own story. And so the really interesting part about it though, is that he became a huge, a spokesperson for anti-drug, the anti-drug movement, but when they did the autopsy on his daughter, they found no drugs in her system, but he insisted oh, wow. that she was uh-huh. dosing and she died that wow. way. And um, I just don't think he wanted to admit that she committed suicide. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, but anyway, so, so he, the, because the book and I guess the movie ended that way, it was really important for him to have people read that story because it was so close to his own life experience. Which I think is really interesting because I, when she says, I, well, just real quick, when she says we decided to release the diaries, that's kind of what he was doing. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously, if they're releasing the diaries and it's, well, here, here
1: the, uh,
2: I'll stop that thought because I just had, I had two thoughts of, from what Nate said. One, I, what I thought of Nate, um, was, um, I thought of the, um, itchy and scratchy and poochy show, uh, episode of The Simpsons. Um, yes. what, when, when Poochie, who they introduce as who's going to be this hip new character that's going to bring Itchy and Scratchy back to life with Homer Simpson doing the voice, he completely bombs. Everyone hates him. And so you have an episode with Poochie in it, and then all of a sudden it cuts to Poochie, and there's a... And, and Poochie says something like, hey guys, what's going on? And then it cuts to Poochie, and there's a brand new voice that says, I have to return to my home planet. And he's suddenly like flies off the screen, and then you see a handwritten thing on the screen that said, Poochie died on the way back to his home planet. And that's that's kind of what I thought for a second when I saw this, because it's literally, literally she, she's walking... Through this crowd of students, she looks more assured than she's ever looked. She looks good. Her 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 receding hairline. Teachers a boyfriend is in his c- whatever the heck car that is he's driving. She's walking towards she- the steps. She goes up the steps. She turns. It goes a bit slow mo. She puts her hand on the edge of the door. She looks towards the camera. Our daughter died from a drug. And literally, that's what happens. It was like the hell. And I'm wondering, would it have been any and why did I think of the Poughkeepsie tapes right here, the way it, it begins? Um, the Would it have been any different if it had maybe, like, begun with, like, her funeral or something like well, that? Well, no, because we, I
1: think – of course, most people would have read the book. But I think the whole point was uh-huh. that it was supposed to – for those of us who were the uninitiated, I think it was mm-hmm. supposed to be, like, oh, my God, you know, which is exactly how I reacted the first time I saw it. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. The more I think about that, that's – like that less and less. The more I think about it, <laughs> I think,
1: but I mean, I understand I what you're a... saying. I mean, I just think you're you're just more in tune to to what they're trying, the I manipulation think... of what I... they've done, and and it's that's all. And it's just not sitting right with you. I mean, that's what I think has I... happened.
2: I think I think dramatically there's there were better ways i mean there's a difference between what is it the um uh what is it the hitchcock thing where what's more suspenseful to um have a bunch of people sitting at a table in a meeting and then suddenly have the table or what's better having the table suddenly explode or starting a meeting where you see the the bomb bomb. under the table and then the meeting goes and which is better and to me um uh they do the explosion without seeing the bomb and you're just like, she's going to make it. She's going to. But I will say this, though, as she's walking up t- to the, the entrance to the high school, I was thinking she's made it very clear that she doesn't know if she's going to be able to yeah. keep off the drugs. We yeah. know that because she said that. And then the voiceover comes. And I thought, I don't think we need that because she's been very clear that she said, I don't know if I can keep off this. And we know how much she loves it. So I, I, I just, maybe it was, uh, it's putting a hat on a hat. I don't know that we need it.
1: You know, it's interesting because so the day after I saw Go Ask Alice, um, I went to the Alamo because they were showing the uh, foxes. Have either one of you seen foxes with J- Jody Foster?
2: Oh, I haven't seen Foxes since, like, the early no. 80s, I think, Ugh. on HBO. Oh, that's a great, it's so, great movie, isn't it? Yeah, I remember. It's
1: so fucking good, but it's also got, like, this sort of yeah. drug addict, like, tragedy yeah. kind of thing happening in it. And there's this really great camera shot that I can't stop thinking about. And I don't want to be too spoilery, but, like... Um, with this character right before something really horrible happens to them they get picked up by a hitchhiker or oh, they're hitchhiking they get picked up by this this couple in a car and and it's a man and a woman and the woman gets out of the car to let the girl in and there's this camera shot from far away and it's all done sort of with like this weird street light and you can tell something bad's going to happen based off just that camera shot and i kind of feel like in a way the what you say like her walking up the steps you also get that feeling too that she's still teetering on that I don't know if I can keep living this sort of life or if I'm gonna fall and, back. And I think it's interesting the the way they did that because they're not really doing much, but you get that idea between her getting out of the car and getting to the doorsteps of the school.
2: I, I And I think I really felt like I, I I don't think she can make it but I think she's going to do her damnedest to do it and then immediately the voiceover comes and I thought oh okay I was wrong all right well there you go <laughs> she got her soda all dosed right. again and it, it's I think like I said Alice for the first like 45 minutes of the movie was kind of like a cipher to me but then in the last half hour I really grew to like her and so that was just like that like I said it was a mix of a, a gut punch mixed with baloney. Yeah,
1: That's I get what baloney. you're saying. No, I totally agree with you. So, but I want to go back real quick and talk about the infamous um oh,
4: tr- do, soda dose yeah. scene.
1: Yeah. So, like so like right before all this stuff happens and she really cleans up her act for good, uh or we think anyway. Um she's babysitting and she drinks that soda and she starts dosing and like she's totally tripping. And there's this really great shot of her, like, going into the trip and kind of starting to freak out. Because if you start trip, what I know about acid is that if you go into the trip, ah. if you go, well, everybody knows this. This is common knowledge. If you go into the trip um, in a certain mood, that mood's going to get amplified. So, like, if you're in a good mood and you're tripping, you're probably going to be okay. But if, like, you're really freaked out about something already and then you trip, it's only going to come worse. So when she realizes that she's starting to trip, that it goes into that freak out. And then it cuts to a commercial and so you just kind of see her go off camera because she's like falling towards the ground and you're like, oh my God, she's babysitting. That baby is helpless. What's going to happen? And then she's in the hospital and her parents are kind of looking over her and she can't even speak and her face is covered in bandages and she's got these fucking things on her fingers. Like her hands are just completely bandaged up. It looks like I thought maybe she set herself on fire, was what it looked like originally.
5: Mm. And, and yeah, yeah,
1: even with the bandages, you can see her face is like all scabbed up, and like it's, and she can't even like respond to people. And they're like, you know, the police need to talk to you. And they're like, maybe today's not the right day because all she can say is apple, you know what I mean, or beans or whatever. And so, like, so like they have to give her some time, but she also like as she progresses in her recovery it's obvious that she doesn't even know what happened that day and so um, they keep showing her getting better but then she has like she goes from like having her hands completely bandaged together to having like five little separate bandages in each hand and so she has like these snow beast fingers you know yeah. and like yes. yeah. <laughs> and like these claws and then um, Ruth Roman is her doctor which I don't know how I feel about that I don't know if I want Ruth Roman being my doctor because she <laughs> freaks me out but anyway but she yeah, sure. tells her that when she started tripping she locked herself in the closet to keep herself away from the baby but in the middle of her trip she thought she was buried alive so she tried to actually scratch herself out of the closet and she used her face at some point too and um and then they told her that she didn't harm the baby at all and so and then i think that's when she reclaims her life right like when she understands that she knew what was happening was bad and she was able to sort of take control of it And she knows that there's a good person inside of her that's responsible, blah, blah, blah. So, like, um, but that scene is so harrowing because it's freaky. It's fucking freaky. Like, the idea, just the idea of her clawing herself out was enough for me to, like, I mean, I literally thought I saw that happen in the film, like, because it was so Mm -hmm. intense watching the recovery period. But that, to me, is, like, there's so many upsetting scenes in this film. That and the couple, when they've got the two girls on all fours, yeah, you know, and, and they just like,
2: offering them like a dog treat or something. Yeah, well, and candy,
1: right? Just, Look, they're candy. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's drugs, and then and the one girl can't take it, so she crawls out of the room and she's screaming. Yeah, and, and it's so yeah, freaky. And, but it's like, just, yeah,
2: it's these, it's yeah, it's these two teenage girls, and they're just like in t-shirts, and they're acting like dogs, and it's just like you watch and you go, oh, this feels like something out of a random '70s horror movie, like The Psychopath or I My know. Brother Has Bad Dreams or it's something so weird ass like that. Horrible,
1: horrible. But yeah. that scene mm-hmm. about just, and the, what I love about it is That you actually never see it happen but it's enough to like upset you permanently you know what I mean that's where I think the propaganda works really well I think that John Cordy who's the director I think because he had that documentary background was really good at sort of that placing you even though it was schizophrenic where he would place you I think a lot of the places where he put you felt very realistic do you know what I mean and so it was it helped sort of like drive home things that they couldn't show on tv
2: Mm -hmm. I would agree yeah yeah and Oh.
1: That's all.
2: Okay, uh, I'm trying to think what else I have on this. I. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was gonna say, um, as with Nate, it took me a few scenes to realize that was Shatner. The stash. Which was... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he he does he really doesn't kind of look like Shatner. and when I saw that it was him, I was like, what the hell? Whoa! And then I I thought, should I go back and watch again? No, no, no.
1: It's, Push on. It's a super subdued performance too. It's not at all. It's interesting because that very same year he did, um at thirty seven thousand feet. And that's, oh, yeah. like, super over the top.
4: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I
2: don't know if I've ever seen him quite like this in anything before that I can think of he off was, the top of my head. He
1: was doing his own downers during production, apparently.
2: <laughs> he probably was, he and Julie Adams. And that little kid, Tim. The, oh, the I
1: like the little boy. He's cute. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nate, do you have any final thoughts?
3: Um, No, I think I've, I've summed them up. Um... You know, I would recommend anybody that hasn't seen it to check it out.
1: Cool. Okay. And, Dan, you would say watch it but be prepared I, I, for yeah. some bullshit? Uh,
2: <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, you, you, you might. I, I yelled at the screen a few times. Okay. I, like I said, I grew to love Alice as it went along, but I thought there were a few there were a few choices made where I was like, no, no, no. Um, but that's just me, and the movie is as old as I am. So, uh, you know, there you go so yeah so I would say definitely watch, I mean if you're a TV movie fan if you're a fan of this sort of movie oh you, you have to watch this you know it's just something you have to watch so yeah.
1: and I love it I wrote about it for the book I was really great I'm not great I was really excited to check it out for the first time <laughs> she was, was great <laughs> I was really great I would have to say grateful but I was not grateful that I got to see it but I was really uh, pleased that I had an excuse to sit down and finally watch it and because um, you know it's one of those movies that ends up on your pile but you just never get to it and um and so it was really great to make an excuse to like finally sit down and watch it and it had a pretty heavy duty effect on me. I'm a lot more manipulative though than a lot of people because I can watch like Happy All Night and get upset by the ending of it. You know what I mean? So like <laughs> so like what that means is that I probably am more invested in it than some people would be. But I do think it is something you need to watch. It's a curio. I think it's really interesting because it had such a cultural impact on us, the book and the movie, in the early seventies. And like Nate said, it's interesting to watch how they approached um the anti-drug sort of movement of that era, especially because it was so prevalent. Um, then it was really, and it was at the early stages of where uh, young people were really getting into drugs heavily. And so there was a lot of, it was almost like the film had to experiment with what it was gonna do to deliver the message. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like everybody's mm-hmm. experimenting. You're either experimenting with drugs or experimenting with how to prevent drug addiction. And actually, I'm just gonna throw out a recommendation yeah. there as a f- double feature that might be kind of interesting. Um, there's a movie, and we should probably cover it at some point, called uh, God Bless the Children, I think is the title of it, or uh, Children of the Lotus Eaters. And it was the pilot uh-huh. episode of The Psychiatrist, which was a short-lived oh, TV yeah. show You know that was part of the Sunday uh, umbrella, I think, oh. with Columbo and stuff. And um, it starred Roy Thinnes as a psychiatrist, and he would go do different cases. So Levinson and Link created the show, and it was loosely based on a true story about a small town where all the teenagers were doing heroin. And nobody knew what to do wow. in the town. Life Magazine wrote an article, which I read. You can find it online about the actual story. And Pete Duell from um, Ailey Smith & Jones plays yeah. a recovering heroin addict who goes to the town to talk to the kids about what they're doing. And it doesn't have a lot of, like, drug imagery in it, but it's actually a really interesting film. And it might make kind of a good double feature, because it, it maybe, in a way, does the job better. Of being anti-drug without really trying to have a message. Do you know what I mean? Because it's really about Pete. Yeah. The story is a the story is is like about these kids all being addicted to heroin, but it's really about Pete Dool trying to rec- reclaim his own life after recovering from drugs, and and so he does. And,
2: it- and w- w- wishing he could be working with Ben Murphy.
1: Yeah, which, as we all do. Um yes, I've exactly. really I've really come to fall in love with Pete duell over the last couple of months. I've been watching oh, some of his yeah. stuff. He's so amazing. Um, you know, he committed suicide I think before the episode aired. Yes. Um so uh it's worth and it's it's uh, it's one of his best performances from what I've seen of his stuff and he has tons of great performances. So in his very short life, he did a gazillion amazing things and I think the psychiatrist stands uh, heads and shoulders above even that excellent work that he did in his other stuff. But anyway, if anybody is interested in doing like a weird double feature, I think that might be a good one.
2: I, 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 and I think, I think that the show that the psychiatrist aired on was called Four in One. Yeah. It was an umbrella show. Yeah. And it was The Psychiatrist, San Francisco International. And if you're a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000, they watched the original TV movie, San Francisco International, on there. And Night Gallery and McLeod. Okay, those were the, those were the shows. shows.
1: I couldn't think of. I, was, yeah. I said Columbo, but I, I couldn't remember. Um, what it was, but it was one of those revolving series where it would, they would yes. air one different one a week.
2: Six six, six episodes of, yeah. of each. It was it Eric. was really
1: short lived. Uh, Steven Spielberg directed an episode, I think, because Levinson and Lee worked with him um, on Columbo, and they yes. really liked yeah. him. Um, so, but anyway, I think it's a really really cool film. So check it out if you can. Um, and I'm just going to do some background real quick, and then we can move on to monsters oh, yes. and monsters. Um, so yeah. this movie originally aired on January 24th, 1973 on ABC. Um, It ran against, uh, on NBC, Adam-12 and the NBC mystery movie, speaking of which, um, and that night they aired Banachek, the greatest collection of them all. Um, On CBS, it ran against Carol Burnett and Medical Center, it got a rating of 23.7 slash 36, which means 23.7 million homes with televisions were watching Go Ask Alice, which represents 36% of the television viewing audience of the night. So that placed it at 15th for the week, and it was the 18th highest rated movie of the year, made for TV movie, out of 168 titles, which is pretty good. Um, it was, as I said, it was directed by John Cordy. The screenplay was by a woman named Ellen M. Violet, who I meant to research a little more. We'll talk about her a bit though. And of course it was based off um, a novel by Beatrice Sparks. So just to briefly go into Beatrice Sparks's, um thing, what happened was um, Go Ask Alice was released as being written by Anonymous. And uh, for years, everybody thought it was truly the diary of a 15-year-old girl. But by the late 70s, Um, As I could, I went into like a Google newspaper when you used to be able to search them a little better. I actually went through like a newspaper research project where I tried to go, go back as far as I could to figure out when Beatrice Sparks had been uncovered as the author of Go Ask Alice. And I believe we've known about it since the late 70s, but even in the 80s when I was a teenager and beyond in the 90s, most everybody I knew thought it was written by a teenage girl. And I think that's really interesting. And that goes back to when I was talking about that card catalog project I wanted to do, where, um, so when authors change, you know, like they change their name, or if an author gets discovered that was recently unknown or previously unknown, uh, it is up to the librarian to change out the card catalog, right? But they didn't have electric card cataloging back then so we couldn't share information. So I was curious about what libraries had Beatrice Sparks listed as anonymous. This is how you can tell I'm an information science graduate student. Um, So I was curious to see what what libraries had um, Go Ask Alice from listed by Beatrice Sparks and which still had her as anonymous and how long they kept the anonymous catalog card. Um, listing, but um, that's just, I would need a grant project for that, and I would have to travel around the country, but anyway, I was really curious about, like, it, because, because even a decade afterwards, um, I, I th- always thought it was an anonymous person, I didn't realize that it was a, a, a 30-year-old woman, and so I think Beatrice Sparks was a drug counselor, I could be wrong about that, but I think what she said was, it was sort of a hodgepodge of different people's confessions to her in therapy about um, things that had happened to them while they were on drugs. And there's a series of books that I think she wrote. One is about a cult that I haven't read. That's supposed to be pretty good. Um, and I think she wrote that as well. Um, so uh, Ellen M. Violet did the adaptation. Ellen, uh, Ellen did a lot of adaptations. Um, her first one was uh, an adaptation of Shirley Jackson's The Lottery from 1950. I think I actually may have seen that in school and it was really good. Um, and her teleplay was nominated for an Emmy. Uh, Violet was actually the stepdaughter of Nelson Doubleday, who you probably know from Doubleday Publishing. So she grew up in a really prominent family. I believe she may have been blacklisted, but when I tried to back into that, I couldn't find enough information on it. Um, I will say that both her and John Cordy love working in television. Um, I found this quote from Violet that I thought was really interesting. She said, Television is its own legitimate medium of art. I love the closeness of television, the intimacy, as opposed to the movies. This, uh, well, of course, she says a word here I can't pronounce. This proscenium arch comes to the viewer and gives you the kind of attention you get from a reader. There is no audience better than the audience of one. There never will be. So she really liked working for TV, which I thought was really cool. Um, John Cordy was also primarily a TV director. Uh, Go Ask Alice was his second TV movie, the first one being The People, with which also had William Shatner in it. Uh, before that, he directed documentaries and was an Oscar winner. Um, he actually directed the Thelma Thumb animated sequences that were featured on Sesame Street, which I don't remember, but I made a note of that because I'm sure other people will. Um, he, I believe he currently lives in Marin County. Uh, he, he seems to do still do interviews about his career, and it seems like he's always in Marin County when he does it. Um, he thought that the TV medium was was really good, but he also felt like he had a lot of creative control, which is interesting because a lot of directors, I think, feel like they work for hire on the TV movie um, Forefront, but he felt like he got a lot of control over like the artistic quality of it. Um, so Alice was played by Jamie Smith Jackson. I should also say that Alice is not the name of the character in the book. There is no character name. Uh, that's just a reference to the Jefferson Starship or Jefferson Airplane song. I'm sorry. Jefferson and, Airplane. Jefferson Airplane song. And, and, she, and so she's never full, she's never named in the book. But I believe she talks about the song in the movie or in the book so that they uh, they adapted it for the film itself. Um, but anyway, Alice was played by Jamie Smith, Smith Jackson, excuse me. This was her first uh, television role, but in 1973, she actually, had, which when this came out, she had 10 acting credits already. Um, she did four other TV movies, Satan School for Girls, House of Evil, Lisa Bright and Dark, which I'm dying to see, and something called Remember When. Um, her last role was in 1994. She uh, provided the voice for a short film. She's married to Michael Ankeen, who you probably know best from Twin Peaks. Um, and uh, I think she might be an interior designer in Hawaii. Um, I found this really interesting obituary that had her listed. And if if that obituary is correct, her parents actually owned a drive-in theater in Marshall, Missouri, when she was a child, um, which I thought was really cool. And we've mentioned most of them, but just to uh, sort of refresh everybody's memory, there were several interesting cameos in Go Ask Alice. This was an early uh, role for Robert Carradine. Do you remember he's the bad boy that... Jokes to her oh, about yeah. she should get off. Oh her, yes, yeah. She should get off mm-hmm. her high horse, or maybe she's just high on the horse.
2: That yeah, that's a bit of a strange scene where they're kind of uh, picking on Alice for being yeah. on drugs, and her ma's her ma's standing there, kind of. <laughs> it's like Ma, come on.
1: Yeah, defend me a do, little do here. Do And then yeah. and then we mentioned the other ones. We mentioned Mackenzie Phillips, Andy Griffith, and Charles Martin Smith is the guy we were talking about earlier, the, the director from um, American Graffiti and Ruth Roman from The Baby. Uh, Go Ask Alice was a Metro Media production and at the time um, they had produced more weekly programs than any other production company. Uh, apparently they spent about $25 million uh, during the 1972-73 season. This was, uh, oh no, this was not their first telefilm. Their first telefilm was actually Maybe I'll Come Home in the Spring with Sally Field which may also be its own sort of propaganda movie. So I, I should actually look up Metro Media's um, telefilm filmography because I be- I wonder if there's more films like this in here that are sort of addressing cultural tensions and the way that they're addressing them. Um, and that's all of the background I have on this film. Um, uh, again, I really loved it. I think Dan liked parts of it, and Nate thought it was okay. yeah, <laughs> <So, laughs> well, that
2: works. Yeah.
1: There you go. Uh, so we're going to say goodbye to Alice for now, and we're going to say Alice. hello to some really cute boys in 1982's <sighs> Mazes and Monsters, one of my all-time favorite films that I don't watch all the time because it makes me ball my eyes out.
4: Tom Hanks and his friends get caught up in a deadly game of fantasy. I am the Maze Controller. Until they take it too far. I propose we play Mazes and Monsters in a real setting. It won't be a fantasy. Too bad for one of them, because now there's no turning back. This is only a game. I know, I killed somebody. Mazes and
2: Monsters. Saturday at 3 on ZTV, Fox 17. Okay, so here we go, and this is actually—it was funny. I was just—I have um, my copy of uh, Merrill in front of me here, just to get the names, uh-huh. and he has it list—he has it listed under Rona Jaffe's in quotes, Mazes and Monsters. That's how I so think whenever- it was
1: released. To be honest with you,
2: that's what the title card says. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this movie begins – well, this movie begins uh, at night at the Pequod Caverns, which is sort of a um, uh, kind of a, a shutdown series of caverns outside of a, a, a town um, condemned kind of – well, not you don't condemn caverns. You just say don't go in the friggin' things. Um, and the cops <laughs> are there, and the reporters are there, and it's all crazy. And there's a report, uh, cop there named Lieutenant Martini, played by Murray Hamilton.
4: Yeah. And
2: – yeah, and, and a reporter uh, kind of goes up to him, you know, and asks him what's going on. Well, a local a grad student from the local college apparently has gotten lost in the caverns. We can't give you the per, uh, person's name. We're sorry, but we think it had something to do with them playing a game of Mazes and Monsters. Mazes and Monsters is a lot like Dungeons and Dragons, which some of you may know, some of you may not I might talk briefly about my experiences with Dungeons and Dragons, which actually aren't a lot, but I had some around this time. And they sort of, it's sort of, you know, we, we can't tell you who it is. We're still trying to find this person. And the reporter uh, does a quick, like, live broadcast talking about mazes and monsters. And frankly, the, the stuff he says, my note about what he says is, is this guy shitting me? And we can talk about late, later about what he says in his little report. But he says, what I just told you, more or less. And then we meet the four main players of Mazes of Monsters. We meet, let's see, first we meet J.J., J.J. Brockaway, Chris Makepeace, and he's always wearing a hat of some variety. And he lives in a very wealthy sort of penthouse, something or other apartment in New York City. And his mom is, um, his mom to me is a variation of the mom from Sleepaway Camp.
0: Mom,
5: I'm home.
0: Thanks, Paul. Oh, thank you. JJ, where
4: are you? I'm in here. Darling. Oh, darling. You've grown.
0: I'm not growing anymore. This is it.
4: Well, you have an IQ of 190. I don't suppose it matters if you're that tall. <gasps> I'm late. Oh.
0: Oh, where are you going? To
4: the French consulate for cocktails, then to a new place in Soho for dinner. Got rave reviews. Everything is less fattening. <laughs> Even the champagne has less sugar. <gasps> Before I go, I want to show you your new birthday present.
0: But it's a must on my birthday. Oh, it doesn't matter. You've seen anyway. Oh no. Yes, yes. no.
4: no. Oh, <laughs> Voila. Oh, no. What have you done? It looks like a hospital. Don't scream at me. I worked my tail off to get this finished in time. Where's all my stuff, my furniture? I can tell you don't like it. Don't like it? I hate it. JJ do you know how many of my clients would give their eye teeth for a julia brockway room like this
0: your clients put their
4: eye teeth in a glass of water every night
2: and she's like her new thing is she just completely her her son is back from is he back from school or back from vacation no he's going back to school he's back from vacation or something it doesn't matter he was somewhere he's come back she's remodeled his room completely in a way that he hates and it's so she's that kind of mom where it's like she does these things and she doesn't really seem to think and she's like well I have to go see the French ambassador and JJ has a, a talking uh, bird uh, named Merlin and he's the first
1: named Blaine. Yes, yes
4: yes and um and that's that's
2: the first that's the first guy and and JJ is very um, adorable. He's, he's adorable, and he's, yeah, he's always got the hats, and he's very eccentric, and he loves his mazes and monsters, and um, uh, we meet the – I forget the order we meet everyone in, but the, I'm going to go next to Kate, um, Kate Finch, and Kate is standing with her mom. Here's a great thing. Three of the four moms we meet, one of them is Anne Francis, one of them yep. is Vera Miles, one of them is Susan Strasberg. What? I could have just – that would have been the movie I wanted to watch. Just call it The Three Moms. I could have spent the movie watching them. It has an but amazing
1: we... cast. And at the end, I'm going to talk a little bit about the horror pedigree of the actors. Because it's incredible.
2: So you meet Kate. And Kate uh, goes to the same school J.J. does. And she sort of talks about how the guys treat um, They're very chauvinistic and the way they treat her. And they like their gals to be kind of dumb uh, sort of thing. And Kate wants to be a writer. And um, I don't know how good Kate is going to be at being a writer. Because she does that thing that people who I've heard before from people who say they're writers where I don't think I can who I don't think I I haven't had enough experience well how am I gonna write and Susan Strasberg looks at her and when Susan Strasberg says it, you listen she says why not use your imagination and Kate is kind of like
1: huh so, wait, real quick, and this is totally going yeah. on a tangent, but there's this movie called LA Goddess with David Hevner, and I love this movie, but it, it's like a Oh, I loved it.
4: I've never heard of that. It's like
1: a sex comedy. I don't Well, it's not really a comedy. It's like a I don't know what it is. It's not an erotic thriller because there's no thriller, but it's it's not really erotica either, but it's got naked people. But like with <laughs> like the girl that stars in it, The LA Goddess, she is a screenwriter. So the opening scene, this is really all I remember about the film now cuz I haven't seen it in like a decade, but like um she's like I I feel like there's a voiceover she tells somebody like I'm a screenwriter and then you see her sitting down and and she types out fade in and then she rubs her chin because she doesn't know what else to write and I'm like you're not a writer (laughs) if all you write is fade in (laughs) doesn't work like that so that kind of makes me think of that
2: if you're right in if you if trust me having written like 15 scripts if you type the words fade in you have at least the next scene in your head you you don't just have those Yeah, two, she just rubs her
1: chin it's hilarious it's just like hmm, hmm where might i to go from
2: here <laughs> um so so we get kate we get jj and then we meet daniel um and david da- wallace yay david wallace so cute. david wallace I- if you want to discuss him briefly.
1: I just want to say he's super cute. I'm just going to talk about how cute the boys are oh. in this movie like over and over again. Okay. So you
2: know. uh, so, so, so uh, you meet Daniel and Daniel is having an... All all these uh, folks come from uh, rich parents and some of them are uh, oblivious to them. And some of them, like Daniel's parents, are like, Daniel, we want you to do this. Well, I think I'd be better at this. And the mom, who's played by Anne Francis, gets really mad at Daniel not doing what they want him to do. and Which is why, you know, I thought... I love Anne Frances, but I, right here I can I could take her a reliever. So you so you get Daniel, and Daniel one of Daniel's traits is he's got he, not a lot of girlfriends, but he sleeps around with a lot of gals. And because he's been hurt, and you know you can take <laughs> that for whatever. Aww. Oh, I know. Oh, the the hunkiest guy on campus got hurt and has to sleep with a different beautiful woman every night. Oh my God, the humanity. I know. Oh, I know.
1: So, Such a rough life.
2: So then we meet the last guy. And the last guy is two-time Academy Award winner. He's only won two, right? He hasn't won a third uh, one. I'm since I'm not I sure, started.
1: to be honest sure. with you. I know he's won two.
2: Yes, Rob Robbie Wheeling, played by Tom Yay! Hanks. Hooray! And can I, I just want to say this, because I'll forget this as we're talking. One of the early scenes with Tom Hanks, that if, this is about a year or two after he knows you're alone. And one of the early scenes where you see him, he's jogging. And oh, all I could yeah. think of... Was All I could think of was when he went in for the audition, they looked at him and he said, we got one question for you, Tom. What is it? Can you jog? And he said, did you see my first movie? He knows you're alone because I'm introduced in that, jogging. And they called up Armando Mastriani. They're like, he can jog. but uh, So Robbie's in the back of this car with his parents and his mom there is Vera Miles. And... Um, and uh, yeah. Apparently, she's an alcoholic, and he's very stern and kind of unpleasant. Now he's he says to her at one point. Um, you mean the
1: dad is stern?
2: The the dad the dad. Well, that's I'm sorry, Lloyd the dad Bochner, is right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah it is Lloyd Bachner, definitely. Yeah, and and he says to it, it. It's implied that they've sort of been driving a ways to get to this school because they they mention that we don't want you playing that game which apparently kind of flunked him out of the last school he was at, so they're kind of going the next couple of towns over or something, taking him to another school. And at one point, he turns to his wife and says, have you been drinking? I thought, how would she be drinking? She's sitting next to you in the car, the entire time. Th- Did she have a little? I don't know. But uh, anyway, she he gets out, and he's ready to go. So those are our four main characters. And we learn that JJ, Daniel, and Kate, who have, who have been there for a while, had a uh, foursome of uh, <gasps> mazes and oh. monsters going. They need Oh, the, hmm, yeah, suddenly it's Go Ask Alice all over <laughs> again. Um, <laughs> they don't let us see what they're doing when they're playing Mazes and Monsters. But um, And they need a fourth player in order to play, because you have the maze who would be the dungeon master, sort of the maze commander, the maze person. I think person, the Maze the Controller,
1: I think he called himself.
2: Maze, maze Controller and three characters, and they need a ninth level character, which means that you've, you've had this character for a very long yeah. time. And and, and Robbie sort of shows up and is like, I shouldn't really play. And like, come on and play. And then suddenly he's playing. And they're playing and they're having a great time. And uh, we can go into what Dungeons & Dragons sort of entails. But it's very much like, um, you know, I am – what is it? Uh, well, I've got it written here. Um, JJ says, I am Frederick frantic of Glossamin, and I am and Tom Hanks is I'm Pardue I'm mm. a holy man and they're all they're all something or other and um and they play and they have a great time and so they're playing and they're enjoying each other's company and um uh Kate and Robbie Tom Hanks begin to sort of you know uh, cultivate a relationship as this is going on Daniel is constantly bemoaning the fact that he has to sleep with so many beautiful Aww. women and JJ JJ <laughs> is having a rough time because JJ wants to um uh sort of do something new with the game. Well he's
1: also like a and child s- genius, right? So he's younger than they are. Yeah. He's a teenager and so yeah. he uh I think he has a crush on Kate as well. Yes. And yeah. so he's I think everyone does. Yeah, so. well she's yeah. beautiful, but he's like in a he's in an awkward position.
2: Yeah, and so so he begins to set up a an evening in the Pequod caverns and he sort of soups it up pretty good. He's got like a skeleton from the anatomy department. He's got like a sound system set up and he's drawn this big map. Uh, through the caverns now, somewhere around here and this will be important uh as kate and robbie are together robbie tells a story and i'm not going to do the full 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 story but it's it's basically we learn that something that's always bothered robbie is that his brother who is named hal and if you watch it on amazon and you have the volume turned down it comes it's hall they have two l's yeah. rather than one and i don't think that's correct, correct um it's yeah. hal jr his brother at a Halloween party a few years ago. Uh, for hell, hell uh, ran away. He just left. Aww. He actually went to he went to Robbie and said, Robbie, I want to go to New York. Give please give me some money. I'll get in touch with you when I go there. Robbie said, Okay, here's the money. And hell just left, and he's gone, and they have no idea where he is. They think he might be dead. But Robbie says, I think about him all the time, and I, I'm so guilty. Uh, I'm so guilt ridden over over what. Uh, the fact that maybe if I didn't give him the money, he wouldn't have gone, but I feel it's, and it's something that clearly weighs on him. This will be important later. Um, so they all go to the Pequod Cavern and they have a great time and it's, it's, it's fantastic. And and JJ has this great setup in there and they go in the cavern and as they're in the cavern, you think, okay, all right, we saw what happened at the beginning. Someone's going to get lost in the cavern. So the scene begins and what happens is they all kind of get separated And then things start to go screwy because Robbie sees, and I think I wrote it down, but I may not have, um, darn it. He sees some sort of dragon type creature. I thought I wrote the name down. Um, he sees like a giant, like dragon basically like come out between like a crack, you know, in the cave walls and he kills it and yells for everyone. And they come running and said, I killed it. He points to the ground, but of course there's nothing there and they all go home and everyone's fine. No one got lost in the cave. Everything's great, but a weird thing has happened. As Robbie is getting out of the car, he won't stop acting like Pardew, the holy man, and no one really thinks much about it at that moment. And they all kind of go on their way. And that night, Robbie has a dream, and in that dream, he sees something. I think it's what is it? The Great Hall? Yeah. A Great Hall? No, it's Hall. Hall. It's Hall, and but I
1: think it's H O L. Hall. Yeah,
2: yes, and and it's sort of like this vision at this end of this tunnel. Who who is saying you know? Um, uh that, that that Robbie has um has fa- Robbie's fallen out of favor with him and in order to get back Robbie has to purify himself do this that and the other thing and find the two towers which is a Tolkien-y sort of thing and Robbie is in fact going kind of nutty
4: are you are you
5: Who are you? I am the great hall. Once you gloried in killing, now you are of a higher level. To attain the highest level, you must be holy in all your life. You must be pious, humble,
4: celibate.
5: But I walk with Glacier the fighter
4: the holy man must walk alone
5: no wait please great hall i need you when you are worthy then you will come to the two towers and be one with the great hall wait hall please wait
2: and the first thing he does to purify himself is he dumps kate mm. Um, which which kind of breaks Kate's heart, but then Kate kind of well begins to sort of hook up with Daniel. Well, and well, yeah, I guess that's, a, gonna, good, that's a
1: good that's uh, a good sloppy second, right?
2: You know, if if that happens. And, and 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 Robbie just starts to get sort of weirder and weirder as we go along, and there there is a moment in there oh, and I think I actually passed the moment where it happened, I apologize, but uh, there's a moment in there where JJ, as he's setting everything up with the caverns, he mentions does he mention Committing suicide in the caverns, or is it committing suicide under yeah, like under the uh, the, the campus or something like that? He says it at one point. He says he wants to go out big, right? And he's going to, and I think, he, I think it's the caverns where he says so. You kind of think at first, oh, he's gonna die in the caverns, but then he doesn't. Then they all go in the caverns, and then no one dies. And then the next night, Kate is driving somewhere, and Daniel passes her right. on a bike. He goes into the caverns, and you think, don't kill the hot guy. Then Kate goes into the cavern, <laughs> Please don't kill Robbie. And god, she guys. almost Please. dies. And it's like, oh no! And suddenly, so it's like, oh my god, what's going on? Who's going to die in the caverns? Who's going to die in the caverns? And then Robbie gets another visitation from this great hall, the great this thing, uh, who who has his voice, yeah. kind of booming, and and the next day, Robbie is gone, and they kind of go to the police and kind of intimate what might be happening, and then suddenly we're at the caverns and we suddenly realize who might have been lost in the caverns and Lieutenant Martini tells them if he's in the caverns he's dead and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it there we'll talk about more but is, did Robbie go to the caverns to find his two towers is he dead or has he gone somewhere else
1: Okay, <laughs> Okay, I want to go first, I because I I have a, uh, I love this movie, but I can only watch it like once a decade because it just rips my heart out. It's so good. I saw it when it originally aired. Um, I guess I would have been like 11 at the time, and of course I'd seen Bosom Buddies, and I was fully into Tom Hanks at that point, and I don't know what I was expecting when I saw it, but it had a really heavy-duty Im- impact on me, and it had that propagandistic uh, sort of effect on me where I was like, I'm not going to play a role playing game. You know what I mean? Like it really worked like at its message in my little brain at like 12. And, um, and it haunted me in a lot of ways. Um, there's so many things about this film that I love. And as an adult, I guess thinking about it now, first of all, there's everybody in this movie's famous, right? You've seen every actor, in this cast, in something else, and probably a horror movie. And it feels kind of like a horror movie in that it's like these kind of privileged kids in this like beautiful college, getting into hijinks, and then something bad happens. And aesthetically, it doesn't look that different from something like Happy Birthday to Me, right? So it's got that kind of early 80s, yeah. like upper class sort of thing going that's really cool and that I love. and um, And it's really moving because... Um, I don't know how spoiler we want to get right away, but like when all is revealed at the end, it just, it just weighs so heavy on my heart. Like I'll cry now talking about it. It's such a beautiful film. I think it does such a good job at what it's trying to do. Maybe too good of a job, but like, it just works on so many different levels. I love the characters. I love the way the film looks. Um, the ending rips my heart out in all the right ways because I care so much about these people. And I just think it's a really beautiful film. I think it's one of those late entry movies that maybe I I don't know that I should, I should pay more attention to it. It's a late entry film that probably does. It's got a cult reputation. A lot of people have seen it. But I think that maybe it should be better known than it is. And luckily, because Tom Hanks stars in it, it kind of keeps going on because it's a curiosity for people who love Tom Hanks, right? And... um, It's just so good, it's so so good and so I'm really excited that I picked up the book that it's based on and what's interesting about the book is that it looks like a romance novel so I'll just describe it to you and if I remember and I never remember to do this but when I post the podcast on the website I'll try to post a cover of at least the edition of the book I have which it's um, I guess the movie is told from Wendy Cruson's character's point of view Kate and so she's prominent on the cover of the book and it's got this uh, it looks like a Harlequin romance novel and um it's just her kind of looking at you, smiling, and then it's got these sort of background sort of in these charcoal uh sort of farther behind her, three men's faces. And and I don't know I think it's interesting that it's told from a woman's point of view because I think people think of D and D as a man's game, right? So so I'm curious to see how the book plays that out. But um, anyway, I ha- I wasn't that familiar with the book at all when the film came out. I, I think I just watched it because Tom Hanks was in it and because it looked like a horror movie. And I thought I'd really enjoy it. And I was so... like I can remember watching it the first time and just being ripped to shreds, like, emotionally. And then I I didn't watch it again for like 10 years. And then I watched it and I was ripped to shreds emotionally. (laughs) I watched it like every decade of my life. And then I watched it again. And then I was like, oh my God, this is so good. But I can't watch it. It's too much. So anyway, I'm a huge fan of it. I think it's a really beautiful film. I mean, it's truly a beautiful film. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. But if you didn't, it's okay. So Dan?
2: Uh, This was, yeah, this was the first time I saw it. I watched it twice. And I, I, I'll say I, um, I liked it more in the end I liked it more than Go Ask Alice I didn't I thought I would love it the moment it started I thought there is nothing about this film that I won't love the propaganda got in the way yeah it's such it's such baloney that um, I had a tough time sure uh, with it I, I, I was able to sort of get over it at some points, but um, I mean, what, one thing it does have is sort of um, having played Dungeons & Dragons sort of, um, if you can get into that kind of thing, it's great if you can't, it's some of the most monotonous stuff ever, because it, it's sort of liter- literally, it's, it's like you, you'll play a round of it and it'll be like um, you, you walk down a hallway, at the end of the hallway is a big wooden door with a handle, what do you do? Um, I try the handle, roll the dice, I got a six, the handle doesn't work. Okay, uh, what do you do then? Um, I knock on the door. Roll the dice. Uh, you got a. I got a seven. You knock on the door. No response. What do you do? And this goes a half hour later. Uh, I set the door on fire. Roll the dice. You got an eight. the The door doesn't catch on fire. What do you you know? And it literally can go on like that for ages. And it's 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 kind of a maddening game. When I used to play it. I used to always be the dungeon master, and I would just make up whatever rules I needed to make up to get everyone to fight (laughs) as many monsters as they could. So I was a really bad dungeon master because I just would let everyone – because you're supposed to be very strict, like you see in the game. I mean, that's – at the end of the movie, the way – spoiler, the way they save Robbie is they bring up a rule of the game, and Robbie – and then they follow the game so strictly yeah. that they are able to save him by doing that. If I had been the Dungeon Master Maze controller, someone would have gone flying without their proper flying points, oh, if you, if you know what I That would have been horrible. Mean. But, but the, th- the thing about the movie is that once I can set aside the propaganda... I I really enjoyed it. I, I love I love as as I tried to bring up when I was doing the synopsis, except I freaking forgot the point with JJ because it's um okay. it's kind of not, not telegraphed as strongly as the others. But there is that thing at the beginning. Grad student lost in there. What's the name? We can't tell you. And then over, when they actually go in the caverns, you, you actually get points where each of them are in peril and mm. it could be any one of them and and so you're like first it could be JJ because he says he's going to go there and commit suicide but then he actually creates this game for them but then when they get in there he kind of vanishes and you think is he going to commit is he and it's like a sound system it's like is he actually have this pre-recorded and he's committing suicide or something but everyone gets out and then and then um, and then Hunky Pants goes in there, but he's okay. And then and then Thank Katie God. goes in there. Kate goes in. There. Kate goes in <laughs> there, and you think she's going to get lost, but she's okay. And then it's Robbie. But you know, I, I we you know things are going to get spoiled, folks. It's it ain't Robbie. And Rob Robbie is somewhere else completely. They they think he's you know it's he's gone somewhere else to co- complete his quest, and he goes. I mean, I just say that my absolute the place he goes to new york city and he my favorite moment when he's wandering in a days through new york city is the first moment you see him did you see what movie oh, is the playing? Slayer, on the, the
1: slayer the
2: slayer and i was like oh my god i didn't i didn't even realize like the slayer played properly in theaters i know nate you guys did the commentary for that on the blu-ray which i haven't listened to yet but i own the blu-ray don't hit me um but uh uh yeah it, it's it's like it's like um, wait, yeah, wait, wait. Tom did, you just, tell, did you just
1: tell <laughs> Nate, please don't hit me in the face, Mom Johnson, not to hit you? Hit me,
2: yes, I said, please don't hit me, Nate. Please don't hit me. I'll <laughs> listen to the commentary soon. I always listen to the hysteric continuous commentaries. Um but uh but yeah, it was like uh, you see the slare and it's like this is nineteen eighty two. This is awesome. But um I it's it's got a nice sort of um I I think um I, I maybe it's just no, yeah, this is just me. This is no. No, because I'm thinking because when when the two towers, when Pete Jackson's two towers came out, everyone said there were people who got up in arms about it because they thought he was referring to the Twin Towers. But he wasn't. He was referring to the Two Towers in Tolkien. Sure. And that's what every that's what everyone thinks that Robbie is referring to when they see the two towers written. In fact, Hunky says Oh, that's from Tolkien. Right. But then a little bit later, they're like, oh my gosh, he's going to the Twin Towers.
1: And I mean, I mean, it's easy to kind of figure out, like, to yes, me it seems and, obvious that yeah. it's the Twin Towers, but I guess being in New York, I, everybody calls it the Twin Towers, but there was actually five buildings, so maybe they just don't oh, think yeah, of it that way? True. I don't really know. But, um, but yeah, we were, I was like, it's the Twin Towers, guys it's like the world trade center go and that's another part of the film that's very upsetting is that you see the interiors of the world trade center and they yeah. go to the top of the world trade center and it's chilling yeah. you know because because we know
2: and he's going to jump off of it yeah, yeah it's like oh, it's very it yeah. has a
1: whole extra layer there of like um, discomfort because of uh, what happened later
2: and it's inter- it's interesting too because he he um Robbie's character learns that the, well he does, he doesn't learn he doesn't know what he's doing he's in, a, he's in a sort of a psychotic daze, but he realizes in his mind that in the quest, the two towers of the twin towers by an old homeless man living deep right. deep under the subway and it, I actually have a note here why didn't he encounter a chud <laughs> what, uh, Where were the chuds but he has and that's actually a scene I really love. Where he like he's supposed to be and this is something we didn't actually cover, but he uh, uh should we start this? Sp- well, no, Nate, 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 Nate We I- haven't
1: talked to Nate yet, yeah. So let's yeah. let's ask Nate Nate, had you seen this before?
2: Uh
3: no. Uh but Nate doesn't know what else there's left to talk about except the ending. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Tell> us- <laughs>
3: I think we've covered about <laughs> every second of this film <laughs> up till the ending.
1: Great, tell tell me what you thought of it though.
3: Um, no, I really liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, I, I'm not big on the gaming. My gaming expertise begins with Clue and ends with Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, <me too. laughs> I don't know anything about gaming. I don't even play, like, game systems or anything. I just, mm-hmm. I know nothing about it. Um, so, it was uh, interesting to get to watch uh, this film and, I guess, get a little more um, education on this, like, role-playing type mm-hmm. games that I don't know anything about, um, but you know i liked uh, obviously all the actors are phenomenal um i will say that the slasher fan in me was kind of thinking when they were in the caves how awesome would this be if it was like a bunch of role players in these caves getting hunted down by a real killer one by one i'm like oh that would be amazing but i was like no no these characters i don't want to see them die so they
1: kind of did that in Shockma. have you ever seen Shockma? I've never oh, seen yes. it. Oh you have to see but they're playing like fun. a Dungeons and Dragons. Well oh, that's game. a role play yeah. Yeah, in a yeah. building yeah. and but there's a monkey or baboon or whatever it is that's loose and it's killing them. And throughout the building so it's kind of the same thing but the thing is I get what you're saying about the slasher thing because it looks like a slasher film It, you know at the yes. beginning it's got all of the beats and it's got aesthetically it looks like it's these kids at a college they're privileged they're really beautiful they're doing these things they shouldn't be doing in the caves and you're like I'm just waiting for like you know fucking Harry Warden to come out and do something to them or whatever you know
4: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: and it never so I get what you're saying it, it, and I think that's part of what draws me to it too is because it does have a feel to it of that early 80s slasher sort of golden age
3: yeah and i guess for me um i, I looked at it as both films we're covering tonight kind of had tragic finales but this one i thought handled it so much better yeah it it, it felt realistic um, and in a way, it kind of reminded me of the ending to uh, Penn, oh, you know, yes. the late 80s oh, movie. Yes. Like, yes, the ending yeah. to that, it kind of reminds me of the ending of this this movie as well. Like, I, I feel they both kind of had that beautifully tragic finales, where it's tragic, but there's some kind of, there's something really beautiful about yeah. it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's, it's more like a like a like a I want to say more like a Shakespearean tragedy rather than yeah. a tragedy rather than a tragedy of like you know someone you love just gotten a, tra- a car accident a fatal car accident.
1: Yeah, an artistic sort of different. quality too. What they're
2: doing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, I was just glad that when they went to see Tom Hanks, it didn't freeze frame, and then they said, <laughs> by the time they got to the backyard, he drowned. <laughs> he drowned. <laughs> We didn't need that.
2: <laughs> yeah. he, point, he points towards the lake and he said, like, there's a monster in the lake. Uh, uh, Robbie drowned five minutes later.
1: Yeah. But you know what's yeah. so great about that ending is that is that – they. well, first of all, I love that he's still Pardue, but he's wearing – tennis shorts so i don't even understand that <laughs> but like but what, what i love about that scene i
2: feel like peter scolari is running yeah, around there he somewhere, should be like he the really
1: city. they needed to call henry in and, and have him save the day but what i like so much about that ending is that they're driving up and they're kind of like we hear he might be okay in a semester and the mom is really playing it off like everything's going to be okay and then they go back to the back uh, i guess it's not a backyard but to the back of the house and it's 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 obvious that he's not going to be better ever
4: yeah he's snapped but
1: they spend a lot of time redoing the qualities of the game to get him into it because he's talking about the forest and he's calling his parents like the innkeepers like it's horrible it's so sad i'm gonna cry just talking about it and he's got that coin that keeps reappearing that he gives them you know the little quarter they give him back oh my god it's It's so sad it's
2: it's like it's like if they're they're like, different levels of, like, Go Ask Alice is, like, the gut punch tragedy, and this is sort of like, it's not a sweet tragedy, but it's almost like because the three friends are like, um, our our good friend is broken, but we're going to have one more adventure. But yeah, they,
1: they spend a lot of time, yeah, talking about what might be in the forest. Like, it doesn't just, like, he's crazy and then it ends. It's like, it's like just it's like a 5 or 6 minute scene of him just yeah. talking about this game like it's real
2: in those shorts in yeah. those
1: little tennis shorts and it's like and it's crazy and it's like but it's it just it, cr- it keeps getting it never becomes like oh my god they need to cut this short it becomes more moving as it progresses also because the friends yeah. are slowly coming to terms with what's happened And so they start to get into the game too and then and then when Kristen there is a voiceover ironically enough and she says this was the last time we played the game
2: it was the death of hope and yeah. the loss of oh, our friend. Oh my
1: god, it's so sad. It's so Sad. I love this movie. It does everything right for me in terms of emotion. <laughs> it really just sits with me. It haunts me. And I think it's also oh. because the character of Robbie, because we spend a little time finding out about his brother, and because his brother disappeared at the Halloween party and he disappears at the Halloween party, like it does everything right in terms of like yeah. the drama, where like you know just enough about the character that you're fully invested in him and you really want things to be okay. And then when they're not, You just and plus Tom Hanks is a great actor, but it's like it's like there's so much right with how it was written and how it was performed that no matter what they're doing in terms of the propaganda for me, I just am so caught up in his story and his ending that that's what just it just sits with me for like days after I see the film, you know.
2: And there's something so ominous, I think, just about we had this Halloween party for my brother. And he just vanished during it and never came back and then later on it's sort of intimated that he's died.
1: Yes, we don't and, know, right? And
2: and, and Robbie yeah, and Robbie is going to meet up with him oh. kind of thing oh. and and it's just it it's it's funny. It's like it's like uh, when I, I watch it twice in the past three days, and eighty percent of the time I can forget the propaganda. But there are moments like that. Open the reporter bit at yeah. the beginning where he looks at the camera and he's like, "Mazes and Monsters." It's a game where basically like emotionally stunted people play it and they act out their problems in the games. And I thought, no, not really yeah i think i'm fairly certain that uh what you're saying is built on a on a on a false fact that was proven i think was maybe even proven by time this movie came out i don't even know yet but it was yeah, and it, it was just like the 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 basis of them i think i think the thing is if this movie were made by a bunch of jerks who i never had seen before like okay i love blood lake if this movie were made by the people who made Blood Lake, I wouldn't give a crap about what they were saying. But because it's made by, like, really good, there are really good yeah, actors yeah. in it, and everything's timely done, it, it feels a bit more like, it feels, not I I don't know if important is the word, but you can sort of slight, or I can sort of slightly shrug off a movie. Like, Last Slumber Party, if they were to do this, I could sort of shrug off and say whatever. You know, and ha- and have a great time. But with this this them doing it, and knowing it's on the network, and knowing that there were going to be like moms and dads sitting yes. there, and maybe even my mom and dad sitting there going, "Wait a minute, I think Dan uh, is interested in creative yeah. things. We need to shut that shit yeah. down now. And that's the thi- that's the thing that bothers me is the, is the um, what I mean, because I had that happen all through my childhood. So so I, 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 I dislike the thought that this message of don't let your kids do this creative thing because that means they're crazy and have them do something else. which is said like when Daniel's parents It doesn't Daniel say in the end well I'm going to do what yep. my parents told yep. me to do and it's like
1: hooray yep. yeah he totally conforms to that he gives up his dream and it's kind of interesting because Wendy Crewson doesn't um, and I don't think JJ does either I just call her Wendy Crewson as Kate um, but um, it's it is kind of interesting he's really the only one who like yeah. gives up what he really wanted to do
2: yeah, it's it's yeah. That's the that's the only problem I have with it. If it were made by if it were made by Tony Malinowski, who made Night of Horror, then I wouldn't give a crap. I'd just roll with it. And it would be a wave that carried me to the end. But because it's made by competent to wonderful people, um, it, it, it has a bit more weight, um, and I think people would have paid more attention to it and possibly um, caused problems for. Like good kids who are just trying to be creative or do something, and that that thought I don't like.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't I don't remember if I put it in my notes, but um, I didn't. But I will tell you that somebody wrote into the L.A. Times after it aired, uh, an adult, and they were furious with the film because they thought it made teenagers look like empty-headed kooks, and they mm. were they were furious that the film even got produced and um, angry enough to write a letter to the newspaper. So yeah. so yeah, some adults, uh, older people, were definitely. Uh, well, no, I, I, that depends on what you want to believe, right? That adult was obviously a little sure. bit more open-minded. Yeah, course, yeah. But as a as an 11-year-old, it really had an impact on me. I really thought about like role-playing games as something that might be dangerous. And I only thought about that briefly because I've never been that interested in role-playing games, so it wasn't like something I was sure. I had a moral dilemma over. I just never played them. But um but mm-hmm. it did it did make me think that you could fall into the abyss if you get too deep into the stuff and so it it is effective so i see what you're saying because it it does what it does pretty well you know
2: cuz i like i said the only the only times i would really play is if i could be in charge and could ignore all the rules and it was just about being creative and telling these wonderfully fun stories and no one ever died when i played it wasn't about you know that that's one of the things. If you actually play, a lot of it's like, oh, you've lost your points here and you're weak, and that no one ever died. It was just about having fun and stuff like that. I just wanted to tell tell a good story through that, and, and luckily, I mean, my parents had a lot of other reasons to stop me creatively. Role playing was not one of them, so 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 something like this didn't bother them. But uh, and can I just realized the other role playing game from around this time that none of us have, has anyone mentioned skullduggery
1: no but we're going to talk about skullduggery oh. okay.
2: I've seen the
3: movie yeah we're going to talk <laughs> oh. about
1: skullduggery here I love skullduggery yeah I, and when I get to the end of my my notes about oh, okay. Beckham so because okay. uh, I'm going to have a trivia question for you guys about it wonderful okay I've actually never seen Skullduggery but I have a copy of it um and I've actually never watched it and I feel really bad about that because I've, I, I've listened to the Hysteria Continues episode on it I try not to listen to episodes where I haven't seen the movie but that one mm-hmm. I did because you double featured it with something and it was hilarious whatever was it boarding oh, house or something and and Skullduggery I can't remember but the double was so good so I always end up just listening on to the second film and and uh, Eric does those trailers Oh no, it was Day of Judgment in Skullduggery. Yes,
2: it was Day that of was Judgment. So yes. Oh, that's it. That was interesting. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah.
1: His trailer is so funny that like so I ended yeah. up listening to the whole thing. I think
2: I reviewed that in the Bleeding Skull book and I I really I really love that film. is so screwball. I I watched it like four times for the book and I every time I had no idea what the hell I was watching. Yeah. It just, it's just such <laughs> I, a wonderful I need to weird see it. Movie. I need
1: to it's, see it. It's so weird. So, I was going to talk about something and I forgot what it was. Tom um, Hanks, no, oh uh,
2: David Wallace, no,
1: it, well I love David Wallace. It wasn't the actors. Um, I guess, I guess, I want to talk. So, do you guys know that this is based on a true story?
2: Oh yes, yeah, please. Okay, yeah, so let's do go. that real
1: quick before I do the rest of the background because I think it's important to frame this film. And actually, I wanted to do this at the beginning, but I figured it was better for you to do the synopsis first. So, um, let me just so the the real story is is equally as tragic as. The film, although it's quite different in a way, um, and I bought the book that is based on the real person, but I, I and I've started to read it, and it, it's really good, but it's it's upsetting. So, uh, Ronan Jaffe's novel was based on the true story of a of a child, or I guess he was a teenager named James Dallas Egbert III, who was only 16 years old when he entered Mich- Michigan State University. He was a computer science student, um, and he played D and D. He was last seen on August 15th, 1979, on campus, and. He left a note saying that he wished to be cremated, quote, should my body be found. It actually took five days for the school to notify the parents that he was missing. And I think um, he'd had lunch with a girl and then kind of disappeared. And she told somebody he was gone. And then the school waited several days to actually contact the parents. Um, the search party ended up going um, through eight miles of steam tunnels, I think that were located under or around the schools, um, because it was revealed that the students had been playing d in them. Um, and that's not normally how you play D&D, but um, some people took it to like uh, locations. Um, and this was one of the first times I think that um, people had really heard of that. Uh, the tip um, the tip about the games being played in the steam tunnels came from an anonymous phone call from a woman um, Egbert's mother said that she was worried when she found his abandoned dorm room was completely immaculate, and she was really panicked that something bad had happened to him. Um, The search then shifted to a game convention at one point um, when someone thought they saw him. So before I tell you what happened to him, um, I think we should talk about 1979 when he originally disappeared. Uh, D and D was a game that had been out, but it wasn't like uh, super as popular as it is today, and it wasn't like you you wouldn't say Dungeons and Dragons and everybody would know what you were talking about. But when Egbert went missing, it really caught on um, in the news all over the country. It was a really odd case. And when people started finding out about these games being played under the tunnels, there was sort of a media firestorm and everybody just assumed that he died in the tunnels playing this game. So it really caught on that DD w- was kind of dangerous and that people were getting really involved in the games to the point where it was like overtaking their lives. So Ron and Jaffe took that and that's from a really uh, a very real point. But as it turns out, it had nothing to do with the game at all. He was found a month later. I believe he was actually working at Oilfield. He had um, run away from home. He was found by a detective named William Deer, who lived in Dallas. Um, And at the time, because Egbert was a teenager, there was no public statement that was made about anything about where he had gone. But a year later, um, he ended up committing suicide. um, And uh, a lot was revealed in Deer's book about a lot of problems that Egbert had been having. So he was a child genius. And apparently at 12, he was fixing computers for like the military base at his hometown. And like, he was like crazy smart, but he was also sort of um, socially awkward. And it turned out he was gay and he was a drug user and he played D and D. So I'm not trying to line all those together. If you're gay, you're gay, but being a 16 year old gay kid at college in 1979 must have been really rough for him. And apparently he was already um, having sex. And he also came from a home that his parents apparently really pushed him very hard. And I guess he came home from school after a semester and he told his mom he got a 3.5 GPA and she yelled at him for not doing better. And so he was a kid that was under a lot of pressure. And what happened was when he disappeared, they called in this detective to um, go over his room and he found this map on the wall and that's that was how they kind of figured out how the steam tunnels worked because he had had this map and so because of the map and because he just this idea of D&D it became that's what everybody focused on and even though it had nothing to do with what happened to him people really clung to this idea of the role-playing game being a part of his death.
2: Oh, I was going to say, and that's basically what the reporter says at the beginning of the movie is the nonsense that the media was saying. Um, That that was completely incorrect, but he says it so authoritatively that um, there would have been people who saw it and went, oh, my gosh, my grandmother, for example. She was the one who always thought <laughs> I was on crack whenever I came back from L.A. Um, because she used to see news news reports about everyone in L.A. being on crack.
1: Yeah, so it was it's interesting the way... So what what Ron and Jaffe did that's so interesting is she took the female character, the female that knew Egbert, And she expanded that and made her the protagonist of the novel, which is in and of itself is kind of fascinating because this woman didn't really have much to do with the actual story that was happening. Also, she built the character of JJ to be Egbert, but then didn't make him the character that goes off the deep end. So I thought that...
2: Yeah, that's what it seems yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. so
1: it's kind of interesting. Um, so I'm really looking forward to reading the novel because I want to see where she made the changes and, and maybe if figure out why she did that, uh, why she structured it that way. I'm curious about it. Anyway, so it's kind of interesting how she reworked it. And then it was then readapted by somebody named Tom Lazarus. But um, anyway, I think it's it's kind of important to know the story because I think we can watch Mazes and Monsters now and maybe shrug our shoulders at it but this was just a couple years well I guess it was several no it was just a couple years after um what had happened to this kid and and it was a story that like the whole country was following and so like it probably hit home really hard for a lot of people when they originally saw it if they knew about Egbert's life and death you know what I mean?
2: From around the same time, and I can't find the thing now because I just remembered I have it, but there was um, – I, I bought this at a used bookstore like a year ago just for fun, and it's it's fairly fascinating. It was a book that was published in 82 in the U.K., uh, which is like three – was it in the U.K.? I think it was. It was like three like like 15- and 16-year-old Dungeons & Dragons experts wrote a book about Dungeons & Dragons. Oh and it's not like a how it, it's like how can you be the best Dungeons and Dragons player by 3 16 year olds and it's like this it's like a it's like a mass market paperback it's like 250 pages and it's just Filled with information it's like the exact opposite of anything that anyone like in authority in this movie would look at and think you know well this doesn't mean anything this this must all be code right, is yeah. this are you stealing are you stealing our children and taking them to the woods what does all this mean I don't understand because to me like like the um, role-playing thing is one step away from like the satanic panic kind of stuff it, so. it
1: definitely is I mean I, I definitely like when I was thinking of propaganda movies there were other movies I thought of but I thought these were two really interesting ones and I think two mazes of monsters does it in a more subtle way, which in a way makes it more insidious and dangerous. Yes, it
2: makes it makes it more. It makes it more. Uh, uh, it really is because the actors are so good and the script is pretty good. It makes it more sort of human as it goes along. Yeah. You care more about them. So 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 that makes it trickier. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's kind of an interesting film, and I, I'm really glad we chose. It. I'm glad you guys both liked it. Um, I wasn't expecting you to necessarily love it like I do because I love it but um, (laughs) you know it's just just, I have to walk away from it and then I don't watch it for many years and I think I remember that was really good you know what I mean and then I sit down and I watch it again and and the whole time I'm like on the verge of tears like even just talking about the ending there I almost broke out in tears it's just it's just it's so emotionally on point and um, it just does such a good job but then you're right it complicates things by having this sort of insidious kind of Undertone to it. That's that I think. As a, and now we can watch it and maybe see it better. But in 1982, I'm sure it, that went over a lot of people's heads.
2: And and the fact that it too is like go ask Alice is an actual thing. It's it's a drug. Ad- it's an actual thing. This is role playing games. I mean, one one of the and and this will be the last I say about Dungeons and Dragons. But I played it occasionally when I was a kid. But in '83 or so, when I was about ten, uh, there was a Dungeons and Dragons Saturday morning cartoon, which oh. I watch religiously. Which I own the box set of, and I just recently rewatched the first season of. And it ran for three seasons. And but when it aired, there's a commentary on the first episode where. Um, the network exec, there's a couple network executives on there, and they're the guy who wrote the first episode, a uh, gentleman named Mark Evan- Evanier, who is a comic book writer and also wrote pretty much every episode of the Garfield and Friends hmm, cartoon from the eighties and yeah. nineties. Yeah, oh, it's super fun, and and they they talk about the fact that they prepared this, they put out. All the ads they had it all set up, and suddenly there was all this not quite like Silent Night, Deadly Night style backlash. But they said suddenly all these groups were coming at them, going, "You're bringing the Satanism into our Saturday mornings sure. and things like that." And they were like, "No, not really. It's just a bunch of kids who get a chance to be heroic and fight dragons and stop a really bad guy." And they're right. Sure. And and so it's so it's so so it's it's interesting to like so because Go Ask Alice is so it's it's in some ways it's not but in at its base it's it's based on in real uh dungeons the, the mazes and monsters is based on nothing it's it's based in nonsense uh which makes it a very different sort of um uh, sort of movies to watch and the fact that the, the propaganda and the panic is there uh, I think we're, it's, it was a very interesting double feature. Yeah. I've got so many notes and there are still notes I'm looking at that we didn't talk about mm-hmm. and I'm yeah, not going to tell you guys now. Yeah, we're going to
1: get to them, yeah, because no, it's we getting ain't late doing that now. and we've almost got Nate for yeah. the whole thing. So, uh-huh. Nate, do you have anything else you want to add?
2: No,
3: I don't think so. Um, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I did, I probably preferred this one out of the two we we watched but um um I, I guess for me it was really hard i mean i i could see what dan's saying about you know obviously it's kind of propaganda and it, it doesn't you know look too kindly on on the gameplay but i guess since i don't know much about that i didn't sort of fully get that when i watched it so i think that might have maybe helped me enjoy um, yeah. it more mm-hmm.
1: definitely um okay well i think we all enjoyed it uh, it's streaming on amazon if anybody wants to watch it it's pretty good print um And uh, I think it's a movie everybody should see because we always kind of think of the late, uh, not the late 80s, we think of the 80s as being sort of like the decline of the TV movie in terms of, well, certainly in terms of viewership, right? It was, they weren't getting the same numbers, but like the horror output was was dwindling. But um, what they were putting out, was pretty good like when i think back like dark knight the scarecrow don't go to sleep even later in the 80s uh i saw what you did there's a lot of really good movies and mazes and monsters isn't really a horror film but it's got a horror aesthetic to it so if you like slashers and that time period i think people will really get something out of it and it's streaming on prime for free if you have a prime account so check it out i think you'll love Mm. it tom hanks is wonderful in it everybody's great david wallace is beautiful so watch it just for him and um and then follow me on Twitter and uh uh use the hashtag hot guys of horror and post a photo of him <laughs> like I did the other day. Oh uh, so <laughs> so anyway, um let me just give you some background real quick. Um this originally aired on December twenty eighth, nineteen eighty two on CBS. It ran against on ABC three's Company, 9 to 5, and Heart to Heart. Let's remember that, oh boy. because that's going to come into play in the Nielsen numbers here. Um, and on NBC was a show called Gavelin, which was a show with Robert Urich. And I can't remember what it was about, but it was a short-lived series, and St. Elsewhere. Um, it didn't do very well in the ratings. It got a 15.6 25, which means 15.6 million uh, viewers, uh, I'm sorry, 15.6 uh, million homes with televisions in them were watching Mazes and Monsters, which represents 25% of the television viewing audience of the night. It came in number 120 out of um, 231 made-for-TV movies that year. Um, but when it reran in 1984, it got a 10.9 slash 20 and came in at number 38 for the week. It actually did um, not so bad the week that, that when it reran. I think that's because Tom Hanks had really taken off by 84. Um, mm-hmm. What's kind of funny, though, because Bosom Buddies was still airing in 84, and it ranked at 37 with a 10.9 slash 21. So that wow. week it was uh, Mazes and Monsters and Bosom Buddies were right next to each other in the ratings, which I thought was really cool. Um, Variety gave it a review that said it was often disturbing, always engrossing, but they gave Louise Louise Sorrell a negative review, and I only bring her up because she plays uh, JJ's mom, and I try really hard not to be disparaging of actors, but I really don't like Louise Sorrell. I've never liked her I, I just don't like her as an actress. Oh, I and see. when she shows up at the first scene, I was like, "Oh my god, please don't let her be in the rest of the movie." And <laughs> and I, I was she's she's
2: not related to Br- Brooke Sorrell, Boss Hogg. Uh, I don't Is think she?
1: so. But I don't know much about her, and I kind of hate to be disparaging. I'm sure she's wonderful, and lots of people love her. She's on Days of Our Lives currently. Um, and it's great that she's still working, but every time I see her in something, I just I just don't like her as an actress. And Variety pointed out that they thought that she was kind of a weak link in the film as compared to the other actors. And I have to agree, but I like how you kind of compared uh-huh. her to the uh, aunt in Sleepaway Camp. Because when you yes. say it like that, it makes me like her a little more. And I want to love everybody, yeah. so I'm on the path.
2: She's she's not as camp as, no. the, as the aunt is, but that's that's exactly because the way she runs up to her son, who she hasn't seen in ages, and she does that sort of continental European like
1: kind well, of she's kiss. Like, oh, oh like, no. What is she up to? That won't do at all, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, that
2: I am a doctor. What did she say? I can't say? even what does remember. I just remember that.
1: No, no, that won't do it all. That's all I really remember from her. No. But um, anyway, uh, uh, I meant to look up the composer. His names I am not even sure I can pronounce it right. good Hardy did the score, which I think is brilliant. I really love the score of this film. Um, it, be, it actually shot just a few months before its air date. So it aired on December 28th, 1982, but it actually began filming in September. Of that year so that's crazy so they put that movie together right.
2: that's like that's like I was gonna say that's like to all a good night which started shooting in like a uh, July or August of 80 and then came out by Christmas Wow yeah, that's, that's crazy,
1: crazy that's... right and and it's a great film yeah. so think about that so
2: yes
3: exactly yeah, and
1: it was exactly. it was um, shot in Toronto Canada it was a Procter & Gamble production uh-huh. Procter & Gamble is most known for producing soaps like guiding light edge of night and another world um, I don't know if they've done a lot of TV movies Um, It was directed by Stephen Hilliard Stern. Um, Stern was a Canadian who actually started at CBC doing commercials. He did five projects in 1982. So aside from Mazes and Monsters, these are TV movies, he did The Ambush Murders, which is pretty famous and I haven't seen, Portrait of a Showgirl, which is pretty good, something called Not Another Affair, which I'm not that familiar with, and Forbidden Love, which I almost chose when we did the Anatomy of a Seduction um, in Love with an Older Woman episode, because Forbidden Love is also the older woman, younger guy. And it's Yvette Memo and Andrew Stevens and it's pretty good. Um Screenwriter Tom oh, yeah. yeah, Screenwriter Tom Lazarus adapted the novel from Rona Jaffe. He actually mostly wrote episodics, but he did do some T V movies in this era, including now, I always get these two movies mixed up and I feel really stupid, but they're separate. One's called The Survival of Dana and the other one's called The Awakening of Kandra. And I think The Awakening of is like a rape revengey kind of movie, and I actually have it and I believe it didn't air in prime time.
2: It's- is it is it the that's a Paul Wendkos film, I think, isn't no. it? Like oh, uh, a teenage bride. Uh, no,
1: no, no, I think it's a rape isn't that, revenge movie.
2: Oh, is it? Oh I'm thinking of, oh I'm I'm thinking of the wrong name. I'm thinking of um I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah no. I have it. I haven't watched
1: the whole but... thing yet. But um <laughs> I think it actually aired as like a late night, like a CBS late night movie. And not oh, a,
2: okay. I'm sorry, I'm thinking yeah. of something else. He also All did right. something
1: called Hear No Evil Side by Side, the true story of the Osmond family, which must be fantastic. And he also did a movie yeah. that I think is streaming on Amazon Prime that I'm going to recommend called The President's Mistress, which is a John Lowell and Moxie joint, um, starring Bo Bridges and um, Larry Hagman. And it's a really great, like, kind of espionage story about um, the president's mistress getting murdered in his mistress is um Karen Grassle, and I think she's Bobridge's sister so he goes on this sort oh, wow. of you know he's got to find out what happened and it leads to all this stuff in government it's really good um and I think it was streaming on Amazon so if you are interested in that and I think you should be everybody should go check it out um so I told you all about the true story that it's based on um of course we all know that this was an early role for Tom Hanks um and David Wallace also had some cred um, so I'll talk about his horror movies in a minute, but he, uh, you may remember him from playing Dr. Steve Hardy's son in General Hospital for many years, and he was kind of a controversial character because, um, I think it was one of the first times I remember seeing an interracial marriage on a TV show, so his wife was black, and, um... They did a lot on that storyline with them, and they were really great characters. Um, and he was also on that famous episode of Different Strokes where Kimberly uses the rainwater to wash her hair, and it and it turns green. Do you remember this episode? It's
5: green. Yeah. Oh, I remember. David that. Wallace That's, plays her yeah, date
1: yeah. Um, at the end. He shows up at the end. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I love David Wallace, guys. All right. So anyway, oh, yes, sure. go to the horror pedigree. So I'm gonna first. I'm gonna start this with a trivia question. Tell me what two actors. From Mazes and Monsters, also appeared a year later in Skullduggery together. Dan, Nate, whoever can do it.
2: Oh my gosh, in Skullduggery Um, I don't know. Tom, Oscar winner Tom Hanks. Nope. Yeah. No. Um. Okay. Um. Oh my gosh. Uh. Uh. Oh. I. Oh gosh, I really feel like I should know this because I've seen that movie I'm so many times. Th- I'm actually
1: kind of surprised. Susan Strasberg no,
2: wasn't in no. there, was she? damn it wendy Cruson. yep yep okay that um uh
1: and oh
2: god hmm. uh that uh, lloyd bachner
1: no um no oh. it is uh clark johnson he is the student that gives them the skeleton oh oh
2: gosh i'm I I feel like I've let a bunch of people down, and I yeah.
1: Apologize. So both of those actors did Mazes and Monsters, and then a year later later appeared in Skull Duggery, which is hilarious because Skull Duggery is like this little weird independent thing, isn't it?
2: It's it's Oda Richter's um, uh, magnum opus. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, Skull Duggery is like if you want another uh, theatrical horror that is sort of I, I that is a good double feature with Skull Duggery Appointment with Fear. Oh yeah, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. That's Michael Winner,
2: right? Is that Michael Winner? Yeah. Winter? yeah. Uh, no, no, a, appointment, no, no appointment. Oh, no, that's a death. scream for help. Scream no, 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 no not scream
1: for help. He oh. did another movie. And it's called Appointment for Something.
2: Oh, okay. uh, appointment with fear is the one with the um the guy in the insane asylum who might be some sort of god, and people break out into like a uh, dance sequences at a mansion, and there's a gal with like um. It's crazy. It's crazy, and, and it's like Skull Duggery in that every. Ten minutes, it seems to do something different, and you're like, "What's going on?" So that's sorry. That's that's watch it.
1: So okay. So here are the other actors. So uh-huh. David, David Wallace, of course, who plays the hunky guy in this. He was also in Mortuary and Humongous. Um, mortuary being one of my all-time favorite slashers. Uh, um, he's hilarious in that because there's this really great scene where he goes to visit Bill Paxton at the mortuary, and Christopher George says, "Get out or I'll embalm you." <laughs> and I think I think it's David Wall- David Wallace makes his face like he's really upset. It's so good. It's yes.
4: good. Oh, so, I love it.
1: And
2: I I have that on Blu-ray. That's something where it's like, why do I have Mortuary on Blu-ray? It's amazing. Yes, exactly. It's,
1: it's such a good movie. So uh, Chris Makepeace, of course, was in Vamp. Um, Wendy Crewson has a really weird credit that I, that I remember uh, Joe mentioning on this. Derek continues um, for Who Done It. Which I don't think oh. she's in it. I think that that's the wrong Wendy Crewson. But anyway, she it's on her page, so I just put it down there. Uh, I remember he was talking about that too because she's in the Batman movie. She plays um, Gary Oldman's wife. And, really? Yeah. And so by 1986, she was already pretty well established. I think that's when Whodunit came out. I think she. I think Whodunit would have come out way after she was already working like in higher tier films. So I don't think that's a, a proper credit. Um, of course, we all know Murray Hamilton from Jaws. Um, Vera Miles from Psycho and the Initiation Susan Strasberg was in Sweet 16 Bloody Birthday and oh. of course the Manitou and, and then I wrote Clark Johnson down from Skullduggery so that <laughs> is an awesome cast and I looked for yes. Lloyd Bachner and I couldn't really find anything except he was in an episode of the anthology series Dark Room with Rue McClanahan but it's more of like a sci-fi comedy segment mm-hmm. so he's almost there and his, you know, his son is Hart Bachner, who was in Terror Train yeah. Oh yes. That's so right. yeah. we're very I, close. Very close, guys.
2: Can I just say, uh, I love Susan Strasberg. Whatever she whenever she shows up, she's in a uh well she's in, she was in a lot of early sixties, um, like psycho rip offs that were wonderful. Yeah, she's great. She's in an Elle, she's in an Ellery Quinn episode. She's so gorgeous and she's, yeah, so, she good. She she's so good. She is I have her biography yeah.
1: and I haven't read it yet. But you know, she died kinda young and I always like yeah. I always yeah. see her and it's kind of like sad for me because she was so cool and everything that i don't know there's always a tinge of sadness when i see her and stuff
2: yeah i i was feel like yeah like even in this movie the scene she's in it's like she just seems like even in sweet 16 if you know the movie she's still kind of cool in it even yeah. in the end she's kind of cool you know
1: she's and great. and
2: may i may i say murray hamilton played and i don't know if i wrote his name down it's um Rutherford t grant in the third and final season of bj and the bear he was the sheriff lobo of the last season of bj and the bear that's
1: awesome he was also big daddy on the golden girls oh yes (laughs) yeah mclanahan's uh dad so there we go lloyd Bachner. okay that's
4: all yeah yeah
1: there's so much going on so much
2: oh no i was just saying yeah this is super fun This, (laughs) this is a super fun one this really is
1: yeah this was good so anyway we have our feedback but i don't know that nate can make it for the feedback can you nate
2: unfortunately i
1: can't okay
3: i'm usually asleep about an hour ago <laughs> oh
1: no okay well thanks for staying up with us
3: no Thank you. no Thank i you. enjoyed it i was glad we were able to talk about both movies
1: yeah i I'm am glad scared. we were
2: able to Duggery. that's that's a... oh yes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I just, I just, all I think of when I think of Skull are the bulls, that big couple. <laughs> who I forget what what shirts they're wearing, but I love the bulls. So that's such a weird movie. that that movie. I think that movie needs to come out in a Blu Ray and Hysteria continues needs to do <clears> a <throat> um, commentary yeah, for that. Well, just real and, briefly, and-
1: I want to talk about that episode that they host because um, whenever I listen to, can I listened to it a couple times? Whenever I listen to the Day of Judgment, I get really caught up in Noodles the Goat. <laughs> And like, he's in my heart forever. That's all I wanna say, Nate, now that I have you here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Day of Judgment is something. It definitely
5: is something.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. I I really liked both of those movies. I don't know if the same can be said for my other co hosts on Stereo Continues, but I liked them.
1: <laughs> I like Day of Judgment too.
2: I was gonna say, Nate, I think there are a lot of times where you say that and I, I think the exact same thing. I don't I, th- I don't know if they like the like the Blood like I don't know if they're they're in the same realm as uh, Hollywood. was yeah. oh yes <laughs> and I, I you know what i am dying here here's the one thing may i request if you guys ever do iced
3: mm-hmm.
2: please have amanda and myself on because we talked about iced for nine
3: oh, i love ice i, I love
2: we talked about, last year at halloween we talked about iced on dan's drive and double feature for 90 minutes
3: Oh, that's awesome. I wish I would have been there because I love oh, that. Had movie.
2: I known, had I known. And,
3: and the ending, oh my goodness, the oh ending to Ice God. is phenomenal. It's,
2: the ending of Ice is is more of a gut punch than the end of Go Ask Alice. <laughs> in a way yeah. it
1: is, yeah. In a way, at least Corey survived. Not to be too spoilery, but that, I'm so happy about that. a <laughs> you know, cute, cute boy in horror. But anyway, thanks, Nate, for sticking out. I'll Thank you me, so much, Nate. I'll let you know Thank what you. our next okay. double is.
3: Oh, me. awesome. I can't wait. I'll be probably introduced to more stuff I haven't seen.
1: <laughs> It'll be good times. I promise. Uh huh. Okay. Good we'll day, talk to Nate. you later. Goodbye. Bye. Okay. So now we're going to go to feedback. And uh, I think we'll start with Adam's uh, audio feedback, which I haven't actually listened to yet because his feedback is so good. I don't want it to influence my own thinking. Yes. So, Same so, <laughs> so I actually wait to listen to it. So anyway, so we're going to listen to it all together for the first time. Let's go.
5: Adam Gordon here, and who needs downers when you can stream this double feature? While there aren't too many TV movies that get ruined in the last 10 seconds, Go Ask Alice was one of them. First, it undermines the message from one of hope to one of hopelessness. Second, I immediately thought foul play during the bad trip Alice experienced while babysitting late in the film. Without giving away too much of the epilogue, I felt encouraged to check out the fictional book on which the movie was based, and found that foul play was strongly hinted at, on both occasions in the not-so- anonymous diary. In the movie, the casket hallucination could be interpreted as society holding her down, but in the book it was foreshadowing. It's obvious why LSD and drug legalization advocates really hate this film. It's not only a message film, but also a crime film. There were other considerations that blunted the message of the film versus the book. In the movie, kids get the impression that Alice was cool while on drugs and a drag when sober. Other events that couldn't be depicted on TV, such as rape, a very passing reference of forced prostitution, the Mackenzie Phillips scene, the sexual relationship between dealers Richie and Ted, which was depicted in the film as the drug theft scene, and how Alice got sleeping pills in the first place also left the TV version ineffective. Despite an outstanding performance by currently successful, Hawaii-based interior designer Julie Smith Jackson, it was wasted on an overwrought remake of Reefer Madness. Watch for William Shatner's first toupee and Andy Griffith, miles away from Mayberry, calling a 513 area code number, meaning that the film was set in my current hometown of Cincinnati. So, yay, I guess? A couple of discussion topics arose, though. Did the father's career ambitions blind him to Alice's addiction? I say yes. And does the film criticize 12-step programs by implying that the kids in the 70s-style rap session just replaced one high with another? Having played Dungeons and Dragons, I can testify it's nowhere near as glamorous, as portrayed in Mazes and Monsters, a satanic panic film based on a half-assed theory about an actual suicide at Michigan State. When Tom Hanks wanders off to New York City and Detective Buzzkill comes in, you braced yourself for unintentional hilarity, including a scene out of Urban Cowboy, where Hanks makes extras laugh. And plenty to watch for in this one, a computer scientist who thinks video games are going nowhere, old school Times Square before they cleaned it up, cash that would have come in handy for a 32-block cab ride and an obvious World Trade Center foreshadowing. This film feels like concern trolling, claiming that D&D will at best make you asexual, and at worst, make you insane and suicidal. While there was the potential of the film being a look at troubled families and the difficulty of losing a brother, this film and Go Ask Alice are two prime reasons as to why TV movies have a bad reputation to this day. Thanks again, Amanda.
1: <laughs> what a way to end that. There we go. There we go. <laughs> movies have a bad reputation. TV movies have a bad reputation. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he, he, had, he had some lovely points in there. The um, uh, the William Shatner Stupé. Yes of course I, uh, we didn't
1: comment on that at all, did we i th-
2: I think the I think I've said this before is that i we have so many notes written down uh, uh, i i'm I'm fairly certain having done this with you for a while so many notes written down we can't hit them all, and it's so nice because he hits these points that we didn't hit, which was like nice. yeah. he's
1: he's he's very good at it <laughs> but um yeah. one, the one thing he said that I made a note of while he was talking was uh, the criticism of twelve step programs, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and I think he's right that maybe it is criticizing 12 steps. And so just another Amanda tells or whatever that confesses thing, I dated a recovering alcoholic for a number of years and, um, he hated 12 step programs. He hated them and he didn't believe in them at all. He felt that they were just a lot of malarkey and his sponsor was full of shit and, um, he had to kind of drag himself out of his hole, which he did. And he's still sober as far as I know, but, um, but I think that's kind of interesting because you don't see a lot of criticism for that on television that I'm aware of. So um, it's kind of an interesting viewpoint that I hadn't thought of before. Because I, I don't really think about that scene so much, I guess.
2: I, I think the, the joy with Adam is he went to the place that I wouldn't let myself go to. with Because uh, I, I, watched, I watched both of these movies twice and there was a, as I've said, a, a dislike of the propaganda that yeah. I kept... Um. Uh, uh, not, not ignoring isn't the word, but I kept saying, "Okay, let me see what else is here." But he dove right in, which I like, and
4: yeah.
2: I, th- I think that's that's fun. We need we needed someone to dive right in and say the, the this is nonsense. We I think we have provided plenty of reasons why they're not nonsense. Oh but yeah, it's, it's good. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you so much. Those
1: awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing he said that was really interesting was when he was talking about mazes and monsters when he, w- he was showing sort of like the spectrum of what will happen to you if you play the game and that's yeah. at best you're asexual which I thought was interesting yes. you think about that and at worst you're going you to yeah. commit suicide, right? And so like yeah. that's kind of an interesting sort of thing that the character goes through and I hadn't thought of that as yes. like um, the beginning
2: uh, because uh, Robbie is, and I put the book aside so I don't remember all their names, but, uh, Robbie and Kate are having a lovely... Re- and there's actually a scene where Robbie sets up his dorm room with, two, with not two beds, but like an extra size, like yeah. two beds next to each other so he and Kate can live together in the dorm. And she says, no, not yet. But the moment he hits the cavern and gets completely involved in great hall great whatever the heck that thing is talks to him the first thing it says purify yourself and he says sorry kate you're gone and so yeah no that's right yep it's it's you either you you get asexual and then you jump off the world trade center which is you know is is which having said that out loud that's that does seem like a panic kind of thing um yeah, it does,
1: doesn't it? Yeah. Could, could
2: you imagine like the like a family in iowa going um calling up like uh someone like in the midwest go like in south dakota you know like you're going to school in south dakota are you gonna are you gonna give up your girlfriend and drive to new york city and jump off the world trade center we just saw a movie
1: yeah and actually i could
2: see people doing that
1: yeah no no don't do that guys don't do no,
2: that please don't do that. please yeah. don't do that i i'd hate it if 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 suddenly you start to see like reviews on Amazon Prime with people saying like i contacted my son and you know and he's going to Yale and i told him to not if he gives up his girlfriend and climbs to the top of a very tall building Seriously? i'm going to be very angry with him
1: well that'll be the review you'll leave
2: i i'm 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 writing it now
1: oh good i'm so pleased okay
0: greetings amanda dan and crew at the made for tv mayhem podcast this is chris cooling from forgotten tv and you asked for feedback on your episode on propaganda tv movies and i had some thoughts about it one of which i know you're considering is the 1982 tv movie mazes and monsters which itself serves as a snapshot of the moral panic of the day And a moral panic is when society becomes concerned over a perceived evil or threat to the prevailing values and interests of that society. And it's often tied to something new, uh, concerns over something relatively new that is introduced into society, such as new technologies, forms of media, or forms of entertainment. And this is nothing new. Um, In the mid-1930s, having already attacked the relatively new art and entertainment form of motion pictures to some success with the implementation of the Hayes Code in 1930, um, by the mid-30s, moral watchdogs started looking at that other overwhelmingly popular form of media, radio. There were actually calls to ban the Sleepy Time Nightmares, the radio dramas that had scenes of horror, suspense, or violence. Organized groups argued that these radio shows would lead children into a life of crime. In 1937, a 12-year-old boy shot his teacher and then himself at an Ohio school. This was quickly somehow blamed on the radio show The Green Hornet. Even innocent fare, such as Little Orphan Annie, was claimed to unnaturally stimulate and thrill children. In the 1950s, it was switchblades and television often focused on while there's probably an obvious issue with kids carrying around a switchblade knife, all manner of ill results were supposedly to come from children watching TV. My research into Saturday morning TV has come up with some interesting uh, results. Some of the claims people made of what would befall children included something called television malocclusion which was described as an abnormal arrangement of the teeth likely caused by juniors cradling his jaw in his hand as he watches television or frogitis a leg deformity supposedly to be caused by viewing tv in a frog like posture or tv squint a permanent squinting expression from watching too much tv or tired child syndrome. Fatigue and headache caused by too much TV watching. And by the late 1960s, Saturday morning cartoon superheroes were the latest evil to be concerned about, which actually led to a significant change in Saturday morning TV programming. Skipping over communism and comic books, at the beginning of the 1980s, this new moral panic started taking hold, possibly arising from mid to late 1970s pop culture. Films like The Exorcist. Ritual and cult murders in the news, um, an awareness of the Church of Satan, and a new national awareness of missing or murdered kids, particularly at the start of the 80s with uh, children like Adam Walsh and Johnny Gosh. And the book, Michelle Remembers, that was published in 1980, was all the rage on all of the talk shows, which led to the latest moral panic of the day in the Western world over Satanism and, in quotes, Satanic ritual abuse, something that lasted over a decade and ruined many lives with the outrageous and fantastical accusations that were primarily directed at daycare centers. Well, part of this 1980s Satanic panic was a focus on the role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons, Religious fundamentalists were all over speaking about the evils of this game. You had the suicide of James Dallas Egbert III, which triggered the novel and TV movie Mazes and Monsters, which I'm sure you will discuss. The TV movie was sponsored by Procter & Gamble, which I find very interesting. As early as 1980, Procter & Gamble had themselves been the target of a nationwide rumor that their company, its president or both, supported Satanism, and that its logo contained Satanic symbols. Of course, something proven to be completely false. It was just a rumor that was happening. There were even claims that the CEO or one of the higher-ups of the company went on the Phil Donahue show and made this claim, which was completely false perhaps in an effort to be seen as anti-satanism they sponsored the tv movie that only served to further the ridiculous moral panic that they themselves were a victim of well those were some of my thoughts i look forward to hearing the show all
1: right oh wow, wow that was a lot of information to take yeah in. yeah
2: i didn't i didn't know that the green hornet thing i i did not know that and um i got to say uh, if kiki Wrights is listening we got to talk about because uh, we're doing Green Hornet over on Adventure Super Train, we got to talk about that. Because I've never heard that uh, about yeah, the I didn't, Green Hornet thing. I've
1: never heard about radio, but it's interesting because when I think of moral panics, I always think of the video nasties. Sure, yeah. In the UK, and that's kind of where my mind always goes. And I never think about the U.S. history with it, although obviously there's been different moral panics over the years. But mm-hmm. he really went through the history of it in the media. And I think it's mm-hmm. so interesting, like the stuff he was talking about, like, where, like, if you sit with your hand under your jaw for so long, this will happen to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just crazy. It's crazy. and But I think I remember Michelle remembers
2: I I I I don't want to say I remember that title, but that's all I can think of is I remember that title. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah.
1: I feel like it was a go ask Alice kind of situation.
2: Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Where it was yeah. really
1: based on um, a real case, but like sort of like this idea of cases that had happened or something. I, but I'm not positive mm-hmm. of that. Um, yeah. So, but it's there's a lot of inf- information there, but that's basically what I wrote down. Also, the Procter and Gamble thing, I don't remember that either, but that's fascinating.
2: Yeah, that is. Yeah, I um, I, I, whenever I think of, well, I love the Satanic Panic. I mean, it's so much fun. If you go to <laughs> the the stuff stuff in the eighties about it, it's so much fun. There is. um and I forget the name of it, but but you can uh, – it's not Vidmark, or is it? It's the people who made the New York Centerfold Massacre, which is a shot on video uh, film shot uh, like the uh, New York City area um, uh, in the mid-'80s. Uh, this was this company that made these super cheap shot on video films, and they used to advertise in the back of Fangoria. And they would advertise like satanic rituals, you know, murders. That please write to us only if you're over 18 for our exclusive catalog. And one of their videos was like a satanic thing with like a little girl getting kidnapped off the side of the road, and then she's returned to her parents, and she has these flashbacks to these satanic rituals. But it's all shot like, you know, like like uh, like my family's home videos from the late '80s, which is awesome because yeah, was that's just what say, I want my sold. satanic. Panic stuff to look at yeah awesome yeah
1: wow uh, yeah it was, a, yes. it was a thing you know you're right i always think the video nancy's but we really did go through a lot of stuff in the 80s especially with the judas priests uh when those two kids tried to oh kill the, the heavy metal sword. yeah, yeah. and and so it's interesting that mazes and monsters which seems like to us now not mazes and monsters dungeons and dragons seems so yeah. benign in so many ways right it's just fun and so many yeah. people get into sci-fi and fantasy now and they're not crazy yes exactly. you know? so it's weird to like look back and think there was a time when like Where that they... created a lot of problems you know with mm-hmm. like parents or whatever yeah. and um or society whatever you want to call it but
2: the first time i ever played i was in uh, boy scouts so i was at a boy scout meeting so you know it it um you would think they would have regulated that if it was so terrible they would have said, guys, go out and tie some knots rather than playing this. Oh, a, I hated tying knots. Is tie that a knots.
1: euphemism? Like oiling your glove?
2: That, that, that is not a euphemism. That was one of the things they used to do. Mr. Thomas used to always have us tie oh, knots. is
1: Mr. Thomas a euphemism?
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the tie knots is not. <laughs>
1: Mr. Thomas has us make us tie knots. I start thinking about Nightmare on Elm Street 2 at the S&M <laughs> bar.
2: Yes. And that's yep. just where I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's it was uh, Boy Scouts was, was complicated.
5: Yeah, then, it was folks. a
1: complicated time for everyone. Anyway, I just want to mention Chris Colling does a podcast called Forgotten TV, which I think he mentioned there, that everybody should check mm. out. He has discussed Lucan and lots of other interesting things. He's a deep diver. He's fascinating. I met him um, a couple months ago. He came to see me speak when I was in San Antonio, and I spoke at their PopCon. And um, he came out, and we had dinner afterwards, and he's a really, really cool guy. And he has a really nice voice, and he's really smart and interesting, and his show is called Forgotten TV. So uh, I think everybody
2: should check it out. I have heard several episodes of it. There's a Lucan episode. His latest is on the uh, uh, Starman TV show. He did some great ones on Saturday morning uh, cartoons. And he did Ernie Hudson uh, one which may or may not include a TV show that I plan on covering and eventually Super Train sometime soon. And I, I'm jealous of his voice because it, it stays more steady than mine. mine. Mine goes from this to like,
1: hey, everybody, we're talking Green Hornet. You're not great? Good, you have a really good podcasting voice. I sound like Wally Cleaver. So if I was a dude, if I was a dude and I look like Wally Cleaver, I'd be like okay with it saying, saying you know, golly gosh gee all the time. But like... I don't. You, I'm a chick. I'm a woman. You
2: know, you, you, you know what? I will say. I think. I think I said this before, ages ago. When you, the first time you said that to me years ago, is that uh, a, a friend of mine who I actually haven't seen in a while. How are you, Justin? If you're listening. Um, but he said his first crush when he was a kid was Wally Cleaver. So hey, you know there That's are the folks way. out there who, you got the Wally Cleaver voice. They're gonna tune in.
1: They are. <laughs> they're tuning in. In mass. In mass. I can't keep <laughs> Amanda away. Amanda Reyes has, has the Wally Cleaver voice. Do it. Yes, I can't keep him away. Anyway, so I just want to thank yes. Chris for sending that. That was really, really Thank you, Chris. Fascinating. Thank you. I really feel like maybe we should just put him and Adam's feedback at the beginning and just call it a day. So we have two more pieces of feedback. Um, Excellent. We, we heard from our friend Jack DVD 78 from Twitter. Um, hey, and he wrote uh, mazes of monsters, or how to attend college and f- and fit a bigger bed in your dorm, <laughs> which is only going to scare <laughs> away your gra- your gal. Just have to talk about the ending. It's just so sad because for a moment you're expecting that Robbie may be pulling your leg in a way that you would expect Tom Hanks to do. I really wasn't Mm. expecting the plot to go where it did at all. Loved all of the actors and was shocked no one got predictably beat up for their love of the game. They all seemed to be popular and even threw Hollywood-themed parties. Oh, yeah, we forgot to talk about J.J.'s awesome parties. They were incredible. I loved all the (laughs) dancing they did because the doors were so tiny, but there was always like three or four people that were going to cut a rug no matter what. Yes. And it was yeah. really fun. Yeah. They look like pretty good and, p- college parties.
2: And yeah, and it's uh the one guy shows up with a Frankenstein monster yes. mask and looks at JJ and says, Who are you? I'm Noel Coward. And he just Noah Coward and yeah. he pulls the Frankenstein mask out, uh, over his head. That was back.
1: that was our friend from Skullduggery.
2: Oh, was it? Okay. Yes,
1: yes. I remember because uh, he's also really cute.
2: Well, that happens a lot in mazes <laughs> and monsters.
1: <laughs> it does. They're all adorable. Everybody. I know, I don't
2: think we we don't get as much focus on the guy and go, guys and go ask Alice only the um, only uh, Shatner Grif- uh, Griffith and the um, the guy with the receding hairline
1: yeah yeah it's not the same but anyway Jack goes on go ask Alice congratulations Alice you wore the wrong clothes you had what job choose between a dress or jeans for your first day at your new school luckily she found a friend in Beth together they keep, they keep it up with their schoolwork stay out of trouble and watch their weight but it ain't easy. I was thrown with Shatner because I knew he was in the movie but kept wondering when he might show up. I didn't recognize him until probably the second yes. scene he was in, see? Sometimes yes. I'm oblivious, but he certainly disappeared into his character. This scene may already be discussed mm-hmm. in the episode, but how did everyone read the scene in which Alice peeks through the door, oh yeah, at her dealer boyfriend and sees what he th- what I thought was a gal and a guy, but two guys come to the door after Alice throws um, some pills at them and bolts? I guess it was meant either that guys go both ways, hold on, I have to flip the page here, or just oh fuck sorry. Or just have orgies or question mark. Yeah, we did talk about that. I don't know if there's anything else to say. I think it's kind of like leaves it open to to interpret any of those.
2: Yeah, it's it seems. Yeah, it's one thing the first time you see it. And it seems to be uh, something else that might be become legion uh, yeah. the second time you see it. <laughs> yeah, that's so. actually
1: something I really like about the film. Um, some of that stuff, the imagery is just really like ugh, throws you they, off. They,
2: they, they sneak it they sneak it it's it, they really sneak it in i mean it's it's like the fact that this is 73 you wouldn't you know you it's, it's they yeah it, it's funny the more we talk about it the more i appreciate what i watched that i didn't quite appreciate well now that ending still gets me. but but it's i didn't okay. quite appreciate what what i watched when i first the second time i watched yeah. it, the first time I,
1: I well know. it definitely well it definitely has some really interesting moments um but Jack yeah, goes on that incident for some oh that isn't for some odd reason causes Alice and her friend to run away from home where Alice runs into Mackenzie Phillips who is a natural in a brief scene. I love that what the fuck moment when Alice is having a crazy acid flashback that features a bizarre older couple, David Lynchian couple, who has Alice yes. and her friend glammed up like pretty baby and groveling on the floor like the scene from Sallow. Uh, The babysitting scene is crazy when Jan barges in high as a kite. The second time we see her babysitting, I assume Jan spiked her soda. That's what I thought, too. Babysitting is dangerous. The actress who plays Alice (laughs) is great, fully believable. I like that scene with Andy Griffith, who helps send her in the right direction, but her parents just don't understand and, in my opinion, fail to hear her ultimately or to help her. Um, like when Alice and Beth reconciled their friendship. Oh, I liked when uh, Alice and Beth reconciled their friendship. And even though Joel seemed a bit older than Alice, he was very good to her. And I would have liked to have seen a happier ending with them. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think we agree with all of that. Um, yeah, 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 it's interesting. We didn't talk about the, whether or not who dosed her soda, but yeah, I assumed it was the girl that had come to the house earlier.
2: I, th- I, th- I thought, so. I thought, I, yeah, I thought she probably found some way to get in. And it's, it's just a weird scene because... Like, I, do, do we fully say that she, like, opens the door and there's, like, a half-drunk soda just sitting yeah, there? Yeah.
1: No, and it's, it's, it's weird just, because who does that? Who drinks yeah, somebody's exactly. half-drunk soda? I could see if it was, like, a liter. You know what I mean? But it was yes. It was a pot Yeah, like bottle.
2: a liter or two liter. Yeah, something like that. But it's actually, like, a and because at the um, – at the uh, the first party that Alice goes to when she's first drugged, they bring out like a tray of pretty much these exact same sodas, yes. and everyone grabs one. And I think hers might be drugged, or they slip her the drug somewhere around there. But it's like she sees one of these half filled, and it has like a cap on it that looks like it probably seals it off pretty good, but still. You don't know how long it. it well, whose like whose bells if, has it,
1: been drinking that freaking soda? You don't want it.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah. It's like if if a couple has said we're leaving for the weekend, please take care of our baby. All we have for you is a half half a soda that you know someone you don't know may have drunk out of. You know, it's 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 so weird that she chooses that soda. It's just like Alice. I by the end of the movie, I love you. That's why the freeze frame at the end kills me. But that choice is a bad drink the formula make yourself up another round of formula i'm yeah. sure the kid has it <laughs> yeah, definitely. you know just uh, suck on one thing of formula the baby will do another but it's just it's just a weird moment it's it's just because it's not like it's not like she's there's like a half a like a like a half a chicken or like um like you know like a yeah like like you said like half of a two liter or one liter oh. of, of soda or something
1: dan they dosed know? her chicken <laughs> oh, my God. These I people like, will stop at nothing.
2: I feel – no, I feel – oh, oh no, I was – Blood Freak, Have you seen Blood Freak?
1: I haven't, but I have it. I have all these movies I haven't seen. No, 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 no. We got to go, though, Dan. We gotta, we're gotta. we getting
2: – Okay, late. let's get out of here, everyone. We're okay. not talking about Blood Freak. Okay. And I want to say, Jack, uh thank you so much for recommending Paul Wendkoses, who I mentioned earlier and I got his movie wrong, his theatrical film Special Delivery. That's right. Jack's been With
1: doing some promotion for that. Our friend Sybil Lee Sheff- – did the commentary
2: yes I haven't listened to it yet but Sybil Shepard Bo Svenson, a lot of Sorrel Brook, a lot of fun folks super fun movie. I, I knew nothing about it and you guys should uh, the Blu-ray is relatively cheap from Kino Lorber I bought it I watched it two nights ago so much fun so Yay. much fun thank they-
1: you Yes, thank you, Jack. Thank you for everything. He's a really great guy. Um, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, he really is, yeah.
1: So, and we also heard from our good friend Shannon, who we know best as Resting Willpower <laughs> on Twitter. She wrote, hey, Amanda, remember that time you got me hooked on heroin? Oh, wait, not heroin. Marrows Place. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's true. I'm trying to get everybody watching it. I really enjoyed the episode you guys did with Bill Jankowski. I haven't listened to the last episode yet because I haven't had a chance to watch the movies. I decided to give the movies for the next episode a watch since I recognized quite a few names on the cast list, and I figured I'm the type of weak-minded individual that propaganda films are supposed to work on. Go ask Alice. Okay. First of all, do people really start their diary entries with Dear Diary? Also I find it very hard to believe she kept her diary while she was doing all those drugs, but writing isn't really my thing, so. The movie seemed like kind of nonsensical to me, I just constantly felt like it was skipping ahead, like what? Oh, is this where it's going now? They really packed a lot in there. William Shatner didn't have much to do, but I thought he looked cool with his mustache. I thought everyone was pretty good, really. The Andy Griffith scenes were probably my favorites, and that little flashback scene in there was creepy as hell. Again, that's a David Lynchian couple Jack referred to. Um, also, the hospital scene with the doctor was quite an emotional roller coaster because I started, I started out laughing at how silly she looked trying to drink with all those bandages, to thinking she'd given the baby LSD to relief that she didn't, uh, to eye rolling at the sappy parts. I wanted to give this movie the unimpressed Andy Griffith rating, but I was definitely entertained. Mazes and Monsters. I thought the first half was pretty dull, and I started looking stuff up on my phone about D&D and Moral Panic, which was pretty interesting. I liked Chris Makepeace's character, and I liked the scenes with Tom Hanks wandering around by himself, but then when they figured out where he was going to the Twin Towers to jump, it took a turn because all I could think about were people jumping to their desks on 9-11. The ending was pretty downbeat too, although I never really felt like the message of this game is dangerous and evil, bad things will happen to you if you play it, came through because it was pretty clear he was mentally ill. Then again, I'm not watching this in 1982. Okay, so <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you, Shannon, um, for thank- that. Thank you. Yeah, you know, we didn't talk about the mental illness thing. That was another thing about the film that was so sad because his brother was obviously probably ill too. Yeah. To take off yeah, like that. Yeah,
2: too, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and it's it's the way they present it with like the the dad who seems to be pushing them and the mom who's yeah. drinking all the time, and the, the the two brothers clearly snapped at some point. And, and
1: yeah, it's a very sad yeah. household. And so I think that adds to the tragedy at the end. Although the mom seems to kind of clean up her act a little for her son, you get I get the impression at the end that yeah. she's kind of there for him, and I think she feels like she failed him, and she's doing her yeah. best to be a good mom now. Um, so and if she.
2: If she, if she needs to be the innkeeper's wife or whatever, she'll she'll do oh, what she has so to sad. do. Oh, it's
1: so sad. He's got the little coin that keeps reappearing, and that's because they keep giving him his quarterback. Yes, <laughs> it's so sweet. Oh yeah, oh. <laughs> it's so
2: uh, yeah. It's, it's it's like the ending is like. If, if you want to, you know, if if you want to bring your Dungeons and Dragons campaign to the saddest conclusion, that that oh no. is the end of Mazes and Monsters is what it is. It really is. Like with three three characters who are strong and one character who has been broken and you just t- you take the one character. It's like, um, oh, I'm trying to think. I can't think of any right now. But like um, ju- just the movie where you have like a character who is about to die or, or is Foxes. about to have something happen to them. And yeah, yeah, and and you just say let's go one more ride, and then the movie ends as you're driving away or something like yeah. that. And I, and and that's kind of how this is. I guess doesn't end
1: like that, but it's got you know it's just ugh, whatever. It was yeah. too much. It was too much sadness this week for me. I had a rough, I <laughs> yeah, had a rough I'm week, sorry. guys. Um, yeah, I
2: have two. I have two. We both have. And this this is where the episode takes a weird turn. No, I'm kidding. We're done. We're done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's all of our feedback. So. We uh can be reached on Twitter at T V Mayhem Podcast or we can be on Facebook at the Made for TV Mayhem show. You can also come to our website which is HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash. I don't know why it does that, Tv com. I guess you can just put in TV Mayhem Podcast. Or you can email us at Tv Podcast at gmail dot com. I will say a couple people left comments on Facebook and Twitter, but I didn't have time to gather them. But they were like one sentence kind of it's so good. Things so I'm sorry if I didn't get to that. I tried really hard. I just it's been a really intense month for me. Um, so next episode we are going back to the beach. It's the summer. Yay! We are living it, and we are going to check out the Hustler of Muscle Beach and Zuma Beach, oh, which wow. was written by John Carpenter.
2: Oh yeah, yes. Oh, I've been wanting to watch that for ages. Yeah, oh, it's
1: yeah. very good. Um, Hustler of Muscle Beach, I've been dying to see. It's one I haven't seen yet, so. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. Also, Richard Hatch is in it, and that might be a nice time for us to do a little tribute to him because he oh, passed away nice recently, days. and now. Yes. he's wonderful. So um, so anyway, um, I don't have anything to talk about in terms of what I'm doing now because everything I've done hasn't been announced, which is really annoying. Oh. So like, and because oh. this last month has been busy because I've been working, and a lot of cool projects have come my way, but none of them have been announced. I will say that the last house on the left... Blu-ray got pushed back a few days. So I think it's coming out in in June. So
2: I've got got a pre-order. Yeah,
1: instead of May, I think it's coming out in June or maybe July. So what Mm. I would suggest you do if you've pre-ordered it or if you're interested in it and are wondering what the dates are, I would just go on Arrow's website um, because I didn't write Mm. them down. Uh, So that's about the only thing I think that's going on that people already know about i can't i did get um an honorable mention at the rondo awards did i say that last time yay
2: i might have uh, mentioned that i don't know if
1: that had i don't know if that had happened
2: the last time we did that
1: i think it did i can't even oh. remember the last say time it again quarter. say it I, again i got an honorable mention at the rondo awards and that was really exciting so thank you to everybody who voted for me it's a great freaking
2: book yeah yeah was, that
1: was really exciting um i I don't, I can't remember, I mean, we recorded so long ago that I can't really figure out what's happening anymore. So I'll pass this over to you, Dan, because I know you do have news.
2: I I do, uh, let's see, uh, I'll start, I'll start with, um, uh, on my website, some Polish American guy reviews things, I have started the final season of BJ and the Bear, which is why I knew what Murray Hamilton was up to, because (laughs) he is showing up on there. So I just reviewed the first regular episode, the third season, Uh, there was a writer's strike in 1980 in the summer, which threw everything off, um, and BJ and the Bear began with a two-hour episode in its third season but i just reviewed the first one hour one the fast and the furious with pamela susan shoop who i adore and um so i did that and then uh podcast wise one minute with blood like and Iced*. i am on at this moment episode 68 we are 68 minutes into blood like and ice things are getting really good um, uh, they'll they'll calm down in a moment or two for blood like, but they'll go on for a few minutes extra with iced. Um then eventually super train episode forty six went up. We are on Green we are Green Hornet, Kristen and I, uh Green Hornet episode fourteen, my wife and I, Ellery Queen Mysteries, episode twelve, and the super fun Mitchell Hadley from It's About T V and I are talking episode two of oh, Bourbon Street.
1: Yay.
2: I love it. Well he's he's so he's so much fun and we, it's so it's so great because we're in 1959, 1965, and nineteen seventy six. So it's like it's super fun. Um and then uh let's see, yeah, you can get my first book still Bleeding Skull, nineteen eighties, eighties trash horror odyssey is still on hardcover and head press. You look it up online and you can get it on like Kindle and stuff. My second book, 80s Action Movies on the Cheap, is still available everywhere. And this is the big news. I have signed the contract and I've written about the first eighty pages wow. of my well, I, I, I I've been writing it very quickly. Um, my third book, which is the the tentative title is From Beverly Hills to Hooterville Exploring Television's Henningverse. 1962-1971.
1: Oh, I love that title. Be, Don't change
2: it. It's, it's great. It's, I, I go through... It starts off with sort of basic TV history, a little bit of Paul Henning, and then I basically go through all 666 episodes of... which is fun... of Hillbillies, Junction, and Green Acres.
1: Yeah, I love Petticoat Junction. I mean, I love all those shows, but I oh, love yeah. Petticoat Junction.
2: Oh, uh, I'm Well, the fun thing is I... Um, I spent 14 days uh, watching all 36 episodes of the first season of The Hillbillies, wow. and I wrote I wrote um, almost 50 pages on those uh, 36 episodes. I've taken a few days off this weekend. I begin the second season of The Henningverse, which is the first se- second season of The Hillbillies and the first season of Junction. So I'm excited. I think it's going to be it's going to be. I'm hoping it'll be like a real thick book. Like the yeah. my, the bleeding skull book and the eighties book, they're not thick books. There there's a lot in them, but I just want a book that you can like throw at someone, and if it hits them in the face, they fall backwards. Like these other two books, if you throw them at someone, they might be able to, able to shrug it off. But that's what I want. So so that's a third book, and I'm working on it right now, and I'm excited.
1: So, yeah, I'm excited yeah. for you too. That'll be really great. Thank I'm you. so thank happy you. that worked yeah. out. Um, yeah, thank you cool so that's what's happening with us and always check out Nate on the Hysteria Continues um, yes that's wonderful too so uh, that's it so hopefully we'll be back way sooner than we were before <laughs> I am I have a lot of stuff happening but I think I should be able to do this once a month and I guess I may or may not in the next month or so start the Trapper cast which, oh will, my gosh. which will just be a mini sewed of trapper john i don't even know i don't know when i'll do it look i'll make an announcement on the social media stuff when i do i just don't know when i'm (laughs) gonna have time but they'll just be like 20 minute episodes and and you know a few people told me not to do it so like i will label them clearly so people who listen to the show that don't really give a shit about trapper john won't accidentally like download it and start listening and be like oh she's gonna talk about dr riverside again so i'll try to i'll make it clear for everybody so only the people who really want to listen to it can listen to it
2: and and I would love to... I, I am so hoping to be a guest occasionally
1: on the... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Gonzo well, Gogo.
1: Yeah, no, I was going to call it Gonzo Gogo, but, you know, he's not on the full run of the series.
2: True, yeah. So
1: it's going to be the trap cast. Um that's the title Oh, of the that's
2: days. great, oh my gosh, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: so hopefully um hopefully sometime this summer I'll have my first episode, which will be longer than the other ones, and then I'll just do like little mini sods about it. so I don't even know why I said that, but anyway, that <laughs> might happen, no. I'll let you know when it does
2: yeah. um, <laughs> and i, I uh, one more thing I, I have been pitching for the past year and a half rocking all week with you, the Happy days podcast oh, yeah, yeah yeah which which I actually literally began. The moment I signed a contract for the book, and suddenly I was like, "I, uh so it will be delayed some." I have Aww. started rock the Happy Days podcast because I, I, I know I can get you for the post Richie seasons. Oh
4: yeah, but I have
2: so, but, but the pre Richie seasons, apart from certain episodes, pre Richie, it's just going to be. Is there
1: life before Richie? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's American graffiti. No, no, that that's not rich. Um, no, uh, I'm sorry, Pre, Pope. Um, just
4: the Richie seasons. with
2: with Richie with Richie. Yes, um, I haven't been able to really get anyone, so I'm trying to. I can do it really quick. I, I think it's um, it's with having signed the book contract. It's taken a little longer, but I hope folks within the next few months to start rocking all week with you. I
1: hope. Yay, that would be great. Pick okay, cool. Ball. So Finger just. Just keep an eye on everything and we'll be back next month to go to the beach. So grab your bikinis and your beach balls and your suntan lotion. Okay. Because we're not gonna use See sunscreen. We it was the eighties. We're not gonna use sunscreen.
4: Oh. No, no. forget
1: that. Get your band a sole and let's join us. Come on.
2: Let's <laughs> do it. And there will be there will be sand everywhere.
1: You're gonna love it, guys. Alright, we'll talk to you next time. Bye.
4: Bye bye. Weather over